Leading Britain's conversation. You're listening to a podcast of The Steve Allen Show from LBC. Morning, everybody. Tuesday, 20th of September. I've got a cold. So annoying, isn't it? I've tried to sort of... I'm staving it off. I'm being actually quite good because I haven't really got time to have a cold. And I was just explaining to my friend Rich because I said I should have had my uh, flu jab, but I haven't had it yet. Now I've got the cold. I can't have the flu jab till the cold is gone. And he said he can't persuade his dad to go and get a flu jab. Everybody should go and get one. You really should. If you're over a certain age, you get them for free. If you're diabetic, get it for free. If you're, you know, top of any list of people, then you sort of end up with, uh, with sort of a cough. What are we doing? What's going on? Is it one of those interesting letters? Oh, I love it. A request. I had a request this morning as well via a letter. My one's very bizarre. I'll tell you about it later. And uh, what else this morning? Oh, just the usual. Bunch of no-hoping celebrities. And uh, they're all out there. Also, I quite like the idea of having rhubarb grown on your patio. I love rhubarb. Absolutely love it. And the idea of having... And it's only 12 inches. Which is, and some of it would obviously come in a bit, bit smaller than that. But I thought, what a brilliant idea. Rhubarb on the patio. Years ago, they did ballerina fruit trees. And you could still get them, actually, which are sort of just small fruit trees for people who don't have very big gardens. You know, I mean, gone are the days of people having an orchard at the bottom of the garden. And, um, and I never got those either. I thought you can get miniature pear trees. And then somebody said, oh, you can grow pineapples indoors. But I quite fancy the idea of rhubarb. The only problem being... It takes loads of sugar, and that's where we have to part company. Uh, The judge tells Gaza, after the racist joke, grow up or shut up. So the story was that Gaza is doing an audience with Gaza. I think it was in Wolverhampton. Anyway, there is a black security guard. Now, whether he's in... I don't know, because I I wasn't at the show. Whether he's in the actual... um, you know, hall where the uh, show was taking place, I've got no idea. Now, I always thought... And I might have got this, in fact, I must have got it wrong, because uh, Gaza at one point picks on him and says to him, smile so we can see where you are. OK, now, any other place, people would go, oh, shut up. That's really so stupid and lame from Gaza. But you expect that. He's a drunk. He doesn't know what he's saying half the time. But the guy apparently goes home and bursts into tears. And I thought... But you must have heard worse than this, for goodness sake. Honestly, we're all adults in this world. You know, everybody has the mickey taken out of them at some time. Too tall, too short, too fat, too white, too green, too pink, too black, too grey. Whatever it is, everybody gets the mickey. Too Australian. Everybody gets the mickey taken out of them for everything. The producer doesn't go home for here to go, ooh, Steve took the mickey out of me because I was Australian. Because he's supposedly an adult. And I don't quite understand. Anyway, Gaza gets fined a thousand quid. It works out about two thousand with all the extra bits. And I thought, good God, I've heard far worse than that on comedy shows. I seriously have. If you if you go to see a Frankie Boyle show, there's all sorts of stuff. Be going, woo, blimey. So, are we now changing the law? Because you know, if you watched Wheel Tappers and Shunters from years ago, you'd have heard racism every step of the way. Bernard Manning only told racist jokes. That's all he did. He told racist jokes. He told you... In fact, Jim Davidson's act was built on racist jokes. Him and his friend Chalky, I seem to remember. And, there was, and he, did a, he did sort of a, a faux West Indian accent. I mean, does that mean that that's all banned as well? I, f- I found it difficult to believe. I mean, I could understand somebody complaining about it. You don't go home and burst into tears. Good God, if every time somebody said something to you that you didn't like... You don't go home and burst into tears. If somebody said something to me, like the producer said to me this morning, the first 
first thing he said to me was, oh, hello, morning, you so-and-so. And uh, if I then went, <laughs> could I then sue him and get money out of him? Of course not. It would just be ridiculous. The idea is, if you've got any sort of belief, you turn the other cheek. It's as simple as that. You know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me. And that's what it is nowadays. People seem to waste everybody's time by going into court over something. Uh, Missing for eight days, it's Kim Kardashian's bra. She apparently said she's sick to death of nipple tape. And so she's decided that her nipples go free, which is fantastic news if you're over 90 and you're interested in the old bag. She's an American. She has no discernible talent. She doesn't do anything. Just got a huge bottom. And that's about it. And And that is about it. I can't think of anything that she can do. Oh, she made a porno film. And that was about it. Uh, The racing legend Michael Schumacher apparently can't walk or stand up. So that's not good news, is it? And and they did a bill the other night. It was very interesting. And and I didn't pick up on this. I couldn't get to see the whole end of it. But it ties in today with a story about uh, kids sexting, which is where they write things or they send pictures of their anatomy or somebody sends a picture of their anatomy to them and they then pass it on to their friends. It's called sexting. Luckily, in my day, we didn't have telephones, so it never went on at all. But on the bill, the story was of a young boy in his bedroom going on to the Internet and talking to what he thought was a young girl. And he was only young. He was probably only about 12 or 13. And he was talking to what he thought was a girl and... uh, It was a police officer. The police officer was pretending to be this girl and then arranged to meet him. And and it it followed a scenario of him getting this girl on a chat line. And then she went because she's a police officer. Would you like private chat? So he says private chat. And she then said, oh, I'd like to meet you. I've heard so much about you. And he says, uh, you know, why don't you uh, open up your your camera? And so she then writes back as the police officer. uh, I don't have a camera. Sorry. And he says, oh, I have. And so he puts his camera on. Now, you know what's going to happen. The police in this particular incident were trying to explain to him that even though he thought he was talking to a girl, he wasn't. He was talking to a 50-year-old-plus police officer. But in many cases, it's not. It's people pretending to be somebody to get people to expose themselves on the Internet. They then record it the other end, and they've then got a, a collection. And it happens all the time. And he was, he was shocked because he thought he was really talking to a girl. And when the police stopped him, I mean, he was just a child. Just a child. Thought he was meeting girls. And uh, and that was his sort of way forward. But he could have been meeting somebody else. And it could have been very dangerous for him. Because most parents do not know what their kids access on the internet. They've got no idea. How do you know who you're talking to? If somebody comes onto my internet and goes... Not that they would, because I never go to those sort of places. You know, hello, uh, would you like to meet? Shall we put our cameras on? And I'm thinking, I don't think so, no. Why would you, why would you want to do that? So that's not for me. But obviously younger people now, it's completely different and they like, they like that sort of thing. So that's what goes on. But it was very interesting because this, this was an old episode of The Bill. So this has been going on for some years now with people thinking of who they're talking to. It reminds me of that joke, doesn't it? You know, I've just been talking to this, uh, to this young girl online and now she's confessed she's an undercover police officer. How cool is that at 13? Well, that was the joke. Unfortunately, now, of course, it becomes a reality. There are people who sit there trying to catch out paedophiles who are trying to uh, entice young people to expose themselves on camera. Uh, Also this morning, have tattoos gone too far? And the latest uh, innovative idea, if you're caught on your phone at the wheel of your car, they're going to confiscate your car. What a brilliant idea. What a brilliant, brilliant idea. Uh, Firemen. In this country, rescue a 1,000 people a year because they're too fat. 
They cannot get out of their doors, so the fire brigade have to come round. What a waste of money. What a waste of money. Leave them inside the house. I'm sorry you're too fat. Well, until you've lost the weight, we're not going to let you out. You can stay in there and rot. It's all self-inflicted, unless, of course, it's somebody with a genuine, genuine illness which makes them put on weight. Mostly it's gluttony, and mostly it's chronically bad fast food. Do you know that 40% of kids don't know what? 40% of kids. I was shocked by this one. And then I suddenly realised, obviously, some pretty stupid people in the world. Because I've seen a picture of, um, of, uh, of three people, and they really are dumb. I can't tell you what they get involved with. But uh, whatever it is, it's in the papers at the moment, but it's in a court session, so I can't tell you. But uh, it, I'm sure that, no doubt, once we get to the end of the court session, I'll be having a great rip-roaring time. What is it 40% of kids don't know? They don't know that eggs come from chickens. Where they think they come from, God alone knows. Small wonder there's dumb people in this world. I mean, really. Also, the mum in the 11th police attack is spared jail. I mean, she's quite clearly a sad old drunk. And uh, she's attacked people, she's bitten them, she's done all sorts of things. And she's been spared jail. Why? Because she's a mother. As far as I'm concerned, I'd have had her locked up immediately. I'd, I would have no truck with these people whatsoever. I'm sorry, the moment you start attacking police officers, that's go to jail, do not pass, go, do not collect £200, and your kids have gone into care. You know, I really, I couldn't care less. I think we're far too lenient in this country. Far too lenient. People are allowed to get away with things. People swing on war memorials, put some woman up north three times, urinated on a war memorial. I'd have had her hung out to dry. Hung out to dry. You know, people like that. They deserve to be pelted with rotten food. Interesting that people were talking about scams. And uh, my favourite scam, because I had a producer who's, uh, whose mother got caught by it, was the old one. And I'll tell you about it again. Just remember the hard and fast rule. Your bank will never phone you and ask you for details of your account. They will never send you anything like that, you know, details of your account. And so what you've got to remember is when somebody phones up and claims to be from your bank, first thing you say to them is, uh, which bank's that? Because they don't know. They're cold calling you. Unfortunately, they target pensioners. And it's very easy, as my producer will testify, to start losing your mind a little bit and you can't remember things. So if somebody phones up and says, oh, hello, it's your bank here. And you go, your first question would be, what bank's that? Where are you? Just tell, tell, me, tell me your address. And they'll then go, well, we're at head office. Which bank? They don't know, you see. So they're fraudsters. And what you have to remember is that elderly people get caught up in this. And so they say, well, we've seen some uh, active uh, transactions on your account. Somebody's trying to access your account and take money out of it. And, uh, and we just need to... Uh, are you doing? What are you doing? You're trying to sort of work as a contortionist or something. Your back's itch. Oh dear. Oh dear. Well, this is, we don't need to share that with people. It's really not necessary. Take your shirt off and then rub up and down against the wall or something. That'll work. Anyway, so. Uh, oh dear me. Go up against the wall. Don't just sit there. You look like you've got some vitus's dance or something going on. Which is all. Just do. Just do that against the chair. You know, if you've got an itchy back. There you go. Is that nice? God, things I have to put up with and see. And so somebody phones up old people, old person, and they go, hello, it's your bank here. We've noticed some um, some action on your account and we just want to make sure that it's all safe. So can you phone your bank and give them all the details and uh, then they can make sure that there is a block on the account? So the elderly person thinking, oh, that's right, I'll phone the account. They put the phone down. They pick the phone up again. 
They dial the number, but when you dial a number, you hold the receiver and you dial the number and you put the receiver to your ear. Meanwhile, the fraudsters, the other end, they haven't put their phone down. They're still connected to the same person that's just told the elderly person. And one of my producers, uh, mother, got caught by it. And so she then go, they go, hello. Because by now, they've sort of got a rough idea, you know, where they're going. Hello. And you go, oh, is that Lloyd's Bank? And they go, yes. And they go, oh, it's Mrs. So-and-so here. Oh, yes, hello, I was waiting for your call. She's still talking to the fraudsters, but she doesn't know it. And so they say, yes, there is some action on your account. Can I just confirm your sort code? So she goes 6005123. And they go, OK. And the account number on that account, 21732964. OK, that's fine. OK, are there any other accounts linked to this one? I can't see up on the computer at the moment. It's running a bit slow. And of course, the elderly person is buying into all of this. But these are the fraudsters. Once they've got the details of your accounts and they've got the sort code, they can drain your account. And unfortunately, because you've given the, the advice over the phone, because the bank haven't uh, done it, it's not the bank, there's very little chance you're getting your money back. And people can have their bank accounts drained. So just accept hard and fast rule from Steve Allen's programme that if anybody phones up and tell your parents this, because it's easy to get caught, you might think, you know, perfectly sensible people. There was a student the other day who fell for a thing, a, a phishing email, they're called phishing. And it was on there, and it said, student loan, you qualify for a government grant on your loan. Fill it, and it came with the, with the, uh, the university's details and their logo and everything else. This student was so dumb at university, she filled in her bank details, sort code and everything else, and they drained the account. She only had 300 quid in it, but they took 300 quid. That's what they do. They don't care. Do you realise that one, one fraud against you is committed every... I thought it was every five minutes, I think. Every 15 seconds, a fraud is, is committed. Because it's so easy. Because you're so gullible. And yet I've given out this same advice for years and years and years and years. Your bank will never phone you and ask you for details on your account. Never. They will never send you an email saying, fill in details of your sort code. Never this. I, if ever I get anything like that, purporting to be from a bank... It's never the bank I'm with, which I think is hilarious. I always write every filthy word I can think of and send it straight back to them. That keeps them very happy. But as I say, they're not in this country. They're, they're, they're generally overseas. Certainly not round the corner in, you know, sort of Winstanley or Birmingham or something like that. No, they'll be overseas. But do not give your advice to anybody. I told you the story before. Some poor bloke filmed for a television programme. And he really believed that somebody had phoned up and said to him, listen, you've, you've won... Um, a share of a lottery ticket in Zimbabwe or something like that, which is where the fraud, I think, came from. And he said, oh, great. They said, listen, you need to get uh, £500 because that's the processing fee and we can then release £637,000 to you. Oh, yeah, OK, okay, okay thank you. Then they phoned back the next day. Hello, is that Bert? Yep, we've got the £637,000. Uh, we're going to be delivering it by courier. OK, you need to send us that money, bank transfer tomorrow, and then a motorcycle courier will deliver your cash. OK, fine. And he sat there with the film crew. His son got a little bit worried and he sat there with the film crew and he was he was absolutely determined. He was so convinced that a courier was going to turn up with six hundred and thirty seven thousand pounds. Of course, they weren't. They just hoodwinked him. They couldn't care less whether he's an elderly person who's got cancer or they're dying or they've got no money left. They, they couldn't care less. They just want to take somebody's money. I, of course, want to hang them. But that's just me being caring. And so, you know, the advice is, 
If it sounds too good to be true, it is too good to be true. If somebody tells you you've won, you know, first prize in a lottery, you have to ask yourself the question, did I ever buy a ticket? If you didn't buy a ticket, then you haven't blooming well won, have you? Try and tell your parents, because I'm sick to death of seeing people on the television going, oh, it was so easy to be scammed. No, not if you've got half a brain cell, because we've given you the advice. You've just got to make sure, you know, they even had television adverts. If it sounds too good to be true... It is too good to be true. No such thing as a free lunch. Not in this country. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, Spikers. Nice to have your company this morning. The spike even bigger this time round than it was. I've decided, actually, it's no good hiding your light under a gooseberry bush. I might as well get it out and show everybody. So uh, that's what we're doing. I just tell people, you know, the spike is big. And they go, but how do you know that? I go, well, it's been like it for the past God knows how many years. Ten years, I think, now we've had that, that spike. And it means that more people than ever, are listening to this programme at this time than any other radio station. We are so far ahead of them, they'd literally have to sort of sell themselves down the river to get anywhere close. Not going to be happening. Have tattoos gone too far? I don't know. This this comes back the other day to Margaret Mountford from The Apprentice, who said that uh, people with tattoos will find it quite difficult to get jobs in the future. There was a guy who... He he popped up on my Twitter. He's a friend of a friend. He's covered in tattoos. His entire torso is is tattoos all the way up to his neck. And and on on his neck, and I'm thinking, who's going to employ you? There's going to be people having to pay through the nose to get tattoos removed because employers are going to go, I'm sorry, we have standards here. And the standard is no tattoos. You know, that would be it. You know, if you want to go work, you know, in a, in a fun fair or something like that, well, then it's probably Derry Girl or a circus, something like that. You can have tattoos. But, you know, if you're working in a bank, they would ask that your tattoos be covered up. And I would quite understand that. I wouldn't want to be served by somebody with tattoos. Not going up their neck, you know, or on their face or on their, you know. Oh, definitely not. That's what they were saying about police officers can have tattoos. You think, oh, dear. I mean, they have them at the moment. They're supposed to be covered up. But in an awful lot of the police programmes I'm watching, they appear not to be. Uh, 84850, steve at uk. Mix says, why do women escape jail? Because they've got children. They just don't care about the kids or they wouldn't commit crime. They're too, they're too drunk to realise. The old bag who's in the paper today. I mean, her 11th offence against the police and we're still not jailing her. I'd have the kids in care so fast. She quite clearly isn't remotely interested in them. She's quite clearly not interested in anything apart from alcohol. So we would definitely... Oh, God, what a dreadful picture. Uh, we, we would definitely have to put her in prison. And uh, she's a thug. Her name is Dawn Walker. She's 34 and she's vile. Four attacks this year by the jobless mother of three. Of course she's jobless because she's an old soak. Latest victim, a PC, Thomas Cock, was headbutted outside a pub. Burnley magistrates gave her a suspended two-month jail term because of her circumstances. She's been told to pay £100 compensation. Well, that's a bit stupid. She's jobless. We're paying for it. We've given him £100 compensation. She guzzles three bottles of wine a night. I mean, it's just unbelievable. One of the Police Federation spokesmen has said, we're not here as punch bags. I agree. I absolutely agree. Throw her in prison. That's, she's attacked Bobby's 11 times. I mean, it's just, it's just ridiculous. What on earth is going on? These JPs accused by the Police Federation of letting her treat officers like a personal punch bag. I totally agree. Throw the old bag in prison. Throw away the key. Let her rot in there for a year or so. When she comes out, make sure the kids have been moved elsewhere to a mother who isn't an alcoholic. She's not even fit for purpose. Why do we put up with people like that? Silly old bag. It's like the bloke who's uh, been arrested, the bomber, shot in the cop battle. 
And that, then apparently he underwent emergency surgery. Emergency surgery. I'd have just let him sit on a trolley for a while. I really would. I absolutely would just let him sit on a trolley. He'd be going, oh, I'm in pain. Good. Good, you're in pain. I hope you suffer really badly. They captured him very quickly. And uh, he's been caught on camera. Uh, then he was captured. He apparently uh, set off ten devices in a three-day rampage. He's quite clearly got all his, uh, all his screws loose. The last one who attacked people in a mall was shot dead by police. That was good news. I was very happy about that one. This one, they should have just let him suffer on the trolley. I wouldn't have wasted time on the trolley. I'd just let him crawl his way to hospital. And then we'd have him arrested. And then we'd just go, no, you can't have any surgery yet. We're just going to uh, be finding out more about you. Makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Why on earth are we wasting time? You know, somebody who was, you know, really, really intent on uh, causing mayhem and possibly murder of people. No, 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 you don't deserve to live. I'm not wasting time with people like that anymore. Uh, Poldark fans have hit out at a new character's excruciating Scottish accent. Viewers said they struggled with Captain McNeil's dodgy dialect in Sunday night's episode. Many complained they couldn't understand the actor, Henry Garrett, during his conversation with Eleanor Tomlinson, who plays Poldark's wife, Demelza. As I don't watch Poldark, I really couldn't care less either way. But, I mean, I'm assuming one Scottish accent is very similar to another, even though Scottish people will say, oh, no, it's not. Oh, no, it's not. Ali Ross on TV. He says Ollie Locke was in a particularly obliging mood as he hacked his way through Pacific Jungle on Sunday night. I'm known as the camp one from Made in Chelsea, he explained helpfully. But is there an alpha male waiting, screaming to come out of me? Well, probably one every other night, Ollie, but uh, he can't help you now. You're stuck for the next four weeks on Bear Grylls' Celebrity Island. Ollie, Lydia, Karen and Mark. Yes, it's Desert Island dicks, I'm afraid. Here they all are, the pathetically stupid waste of space who seriously believe that people are interested in their shallow existence. Ollie Locke is not just the camp one, he's the embarrassingly stupid one. Lydia Dim, the embarrassingly stupid one from TOWIE. And uh, all the other people, you know, I mean, they've all turned up. Karen Danjuk, you know, a really, a really sad specimen whose only claim to fame is she gets her boobs out and has pictures taken. And that's about it. No talent whatsoever. And um, and uh, Karen uh, desperately trying to flash her bum to everybody. The trouble is, when you don't have looks, you might as well go for the sex thing, because that's all you've got going for you. Uh, so I'd like to tell you there was more to Karen than this sort of weapons-grade attention-seeking, but it's hard to tell because Bear has supplied them with some basic tools, namely Ollie Locke, Lydia Bright from TOWIE, and the hotel's Mark Jenkins, who lost no time in establishing his credentials by arriving in a pith helmet. He's an absolute beginner compared with the first two, who uh, are not alive unless they're on camera. Yet Lydia Dim is the dumbest person you've ever met in your entire life, with the stupidest little voice. She's a bit like Gemma Collins. All the dumb ones, you know, there, and Ollie Locke, you know, he's so needy. You think to yourself, how did you ever make it to adulthood? Not that we ever thought he was an adult. It's very embarrassing. However, we do enjoy watching it. However, poor uh, Aston Merigold, worst of the lot, he's from JLS, who is definitely not a diva. However, he does talk a lot about his career. In the present tense, he's forever on the verge of quitting the show and signalled the end of his involvement by asking the question, why don't I just go and do what I'm good at? Papa de Bravo, Papa de Bravo, man about to backflip, stand well back, stand well back. Yes, that was Aston Merigold's claim to fame. He was a silly little show-off in a silly little band like JLS, who stupidly, and rather misguidedly, have said that they're going to be making a comeback. 
well, I hope that both of you can fit into the phone box in Leicester Square and enjoy, you know, Aston Merigold singing She'll Be Coming Round the Mountain When She Comes. It'll be a popular one. Then he'll do a backflip and we'll all go... Let's give JLS the clap they so richly deserve. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. <laughs> Morning, everybody. 27 minutes to, uh, to five. And Michael writes, I feel your comments on Paul Gascoigne making a racist joke as OK. No, you didn't listen properly. I can't explain to somebody who's terminally stupid what I said was, and I'll repeat it again slowly for you, Michael, so you understand, OK? What I couldn't understand is why Paul Gascoigne was taken to court over saying, smile, then we can see where you are, when I've heard far worse far worse on comedians' DVDs. And if they were also in theatres, why have they just singled him out to find him? Why not all these other people? That's why, Michael, we have to explain it to you slowly, because you're obviously not bright enough to understand. And he then goes on to programmes like Alf Garnet and Mixed Blessings. Mixed Blessings? What's that? Never even heard of it. You're obviously a very old person. And uh, he says... How would you? How would your wife like it if I made fun of her in front of everybody? Have you been to any shows recently? You can't be this dumb. Please tell me you're not this dumb, but I've a feeling you might be, actually. Have you ever been to a Frankie Boyle show? He spends the entire first half taking the mickey out of the audience. For everything. For being gay. For be- everything. Everything. He makes jokes about cancer and everything else. He says here, you don't know what that person has gone through in life. Well, you don't know it either. Unfortunately, I'm in a far better position to comment because I'm obviously more intelligent than you are. He says to mock somebody is disrespectful. Well, we're mocking you. He says, maybe I should mock you in public and see how you like it. But it wasn't in public. It was in private. It was in a theatre. People had paid. The doors were shut. It was a private venue. It's as simple as that. Michael, I mean, don't make yourself out to be so stupid, please. It's so embarrassing for you. I hate to have to put you into my junk box and then you'll have nobody to write to ever again. That'll be embarrassing, won't it? Uh, I had a phone call says the other Danny Cohen, from someone claiming to me from my internet service provider, the security department, and I had to go to the website address he was going to give me. So I asked him to name my provider. Why? He said. I told him if he was from my service provider, he'd have no trouble in telling me who he was working for. There was a hesitation. BT, came the voice. My response was, if he was from BT security, he'd know that I'm not an account holder. He then said he works with various service providers, of which BT was one. I said, I'll ring my service provider and speak to them to verify that he was who he said he was. He tried to discourage me. I simply reiterated that if he was who he said he was, why did he not even know who I have my account with? His final parting shot was that if I didn't do as he was saying, my PC would be in danger of backdoor and Trojan programmes, corrupting and stealing personal information. Needless to say, I never followed his advice or rang my service provider and my PC works just fine. So like your advice with banking scams, even if the caller guesses your service provider, never implement anything that an unsolicited phone call instructs you to do. Ask for his name, department, and then in your own time, ring your service provider. More than likely a scam. Absolutely a scam. Simple as that. I mean, absolutely a scam. I can't, I can't think of it being anything else but a scam. You never give information out and they don't know the answers. So when I get something, you know, on my computer, uh, dear, what it? it doesn't actually say your name because they don't know your name. That's the trouble. Um, and it, it'll come from Barclays Bank and it all looks terribly official. You're probably well aware of seeing all these, you know, the logos. They just they just cut and paste a logo. It's so simple to do. People say it looks so realistic. Well, it is realistic. 
It's just the website that they're directing you to is not realistic. And that's them taking, you know, all the uh, all the information out of your account. So don't do it. Don't do it. In Vancouver, says Michael, we have a group called Creep Cratchers. Catchers, sorry. In the last two weeks, they've nabbed a great embarrassment, a member of the famed RCMP and a prison official using the young girl online lure, as you described. Yes, it, it goes on all over the place. All over the place. That's why. I've, I remember one of my um, friend's kids was saying that they were talking to somebody from the X Factor. I said, the chances are you're probably not. The chances are you're probably talking to somebody who sort of made up an account name. And, that, and that's what it will be. As I've said before, only on Twitter, if it's got the blue tick, is it who it says it is. Nine out of ten times, it's not that person. OK, the blue tick is the verification that it is that person. If it doesn't have the blue tick... It's not that person. I can only say that about 500 times because I'm obviously some very stupid people out there. In The Sound of Music, were the, were the Trap Family singers competing in an early version of The X Factor? They were. But, of course, the, uh, the Von Trapp family were singers. That was the whole idea. And they went to live in, in America. There were lots of bits that were just made up uh, on the film. But who cares? Who cares whether it was uh, whether it was made up? I didn't. It didn't bother me in the slightest that it was made up. I, didn't, I just loved the film. I just absolutely loved it. I loved the film. I used to watch it time and time and time again. And then time again after that. Because I just thought it was brilliant. I thought it was brilliant. I didn't care. You know, I thought it was wonderful. I've met all the kids. Uh, Liesl, uh, as I say, Charmian, I've met on a few occasions. Steve, JLS, Bros, Blue, supporting King Andre at his Dagenham mega gig. Is this the year of the feeble comebacks? I think it is. I mean, JLS, they've just disbanded. You know, and Bros. I don't think that's going to come to any... I'd be really surprised. I'd be really... What are they going to sing? When Will I Be Famous? And what else have they had? Don't Drop the Boy or something like that? They were all pretty feeble songs, but of their time, they were fine. But you look back at them now and you're going to be thinking, but unfortunately, Luke hasn't sung in ages and was only the drummer. And Matt was just a prancing ninny who sort of disappeared to Las Vegas, thank God, and sort of started doing Frank Sinatra covers. You know, all a bit all a bit bad. He obviously works cheap over there. Now that's come to an end, they're obviously thinking, well, he is. What am I going to do now? And so they're probably thinking, let's do a Bross reunion. Well, Bross was three of them, Craig, Luke and Matt. You know, now it's just going to be two of them. That's not Bross. Bross is three of them. Bross was three of them. That's what it was. But, of course, Luke doesn't want... Uh, not Luke, uh, but uh, Craig doesn't want anything to do with it. Same as Vic Beckham doesn't want anything to do with the Spice Girls. Uh, I saw, who did I see the other day? I, saw, I did my interview with um, Daniel Radcliffe. And uh, he's charming, as always. He's, always, he's very down-to-earth. There's no airs and graces with Daniel Radcliffe. People always say to me, what's he really like? I said, he's absolutely charming. You won't find anybody who is more charming than Daniel Radcliffe. I mean, I, you know, I meet lots and lots of people. Considering how rich he is and how successful he is as a, as a brand, um, he's, he's unaffected. Whether he leaves the building and goes, right, you, come here, do this, and, and, you know, I don't know. But I never see that side of him. He's perfect in every way. Anyway, so I do my interview with him. And um, and he was he was fantastic. And then in comes one of our other radio stations to do their interview. When I do mine, there's just me and the producer, Mark. Mark, Mark drives the desk. I just sit there and try and be entertaining and witty and funny and drag the best out of them, which I always manage to do, I think. And uh, and so after I'd finished the interview, the door opens and in comes the team from one of our sister stations. Heart. 
and I get Jamie Thigston, who was terribly rude to me. Terribly He made some comment or something. Anyway, we, we get on fine, we get on fine. And Emma Bunton, who said, he shouldn't speak like that to you, Steve. She looked gorgeous yesterday. She was, Emma Bunton looks fantastic. And then they had their, their producer, Nigel. And then there was somebody else who was, de- I've never seen so many, there was like an entourage that came from them. I'm just little old Steve Allen. We just sort of turn up, we do the interview, then we toddle off again. But uh, we do have Justin Timberlake coming in next week on the programme. Today, we have Jane Seymour coming in and Darren Brown as well. Darren Brown, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I might give the book to the producer. It's called How to Be Happy. It's, uh, it's sort of, a, see, banging your head now. You don't know what's going on, do you? You don't know where you are. Where you are. It's very careful. You're a very precious little thing. And uh, also, he's, he's, he's quite sort of fragile. And, uh, and the book, it's quite a big book. In fact, it's very thick. I mean, what's that, about three inches? Something like that? And it's, a, it's, it's just on how to be happy. I thought, I thought the idea of how to be happy was sort of two large bottles of Prosecco and a hot dog. You know, that's about, you don't need anything else written on the page. Or failing that, congratulations, you've won the jackpot on the lottery. That, that would be happiness for me. But then I could, when you actually analyse it, when you analyse what's happy, I don't know what happy is. I spend most of my life in a state of sort of semi-happiness. I mean, I don't walk around laughing uproariously. That would have me arrested for some psychological problem. But I am, I'm a relatively happy person. And it doesn't take much to make me happy. Seriously, I've just got to have some nice food, bottle of Prosecco, television, telephone. That's all I need. I don't need anything else. Oh, and some good DVDs to watch. And that's it. But he's done a whole book on how to be happy, on analysing what is happiness. Are people happy? I mean, is the producer happy? Of course he's not. Of course he's not happy. Not if you actually analyse it, because he looks with envy. I mean, I don't like to use that term loosely, but he looks with envy at other people who are doing better than he is. You know, somebody who's who's got more to offer somebody. You know, he doesn't have a lot to offer. He was telling me he was in a lift with, with somebody the other day. He was telling me he was in a lift with this person who he, who he really likes. And what? Well, no good telling me something and then going, shh, like that. Shouldn't have told me, should you? You know me, Gobby Allen. I'll tell everybody. You've got no secrets on this programme. No secrets. Anyway, in a minute, I'll, I'll tell you who the person was he was with the lift, in the lift with. Of course I will. What are you going to do? Push the button on it? What did, you shouldn't have told me. Why would you tell me? A competitor? Well, I don't know. She's not a competitor to me. Certainly not a competitor to me. Anyway, so he, he really likes this uh, this girl. And, uh, and I said, but you don't stand a cat in earthly chance. And then he mentioned somebody else who he likes. We were talking about um, people of a certain age. And <laughs> he's going to throw himself out the window in a minute, I think. And uh, open the window now. Just see how far the drop is the other side. Would it actually just maim you? Or would you sort of end up with a broken arm or something? But it, it's interesting. What is happiness? Is happiness the chase of chasing after somebody? And then finally they go, all right, I'll go out with you, if, no, if nothing else, to keep you quiet. You know, is that then happiness? Or is happiness, you know, having a great job? Or is happiness having a nice car? And to having a nice place to live? Nice friends? What's hap- I don't know what happiness is. I'm going to have to find out from Darren Brown what the definition of happiness is. Because I, I, I get sort of various fluxes within sort of happiness on a scale of sort of like between five and ten. I start off happy all the time. Because unless you've got a miserable existence, why would you be unhappy? You can only be happy, can't you? I don't, it's, it's like they say, money can't bring you happiness. And you go, well, no. But you're assuming that you're miserable before you win the money. And I'm assuming if you're miserable before you win the money and then you win a load of money, then you're going to be happy, aren't you? So that means money can buy you happiness. 
But if, if I won money, it's not going to change anything. I'm still going to be exactly the same person, miserable to Z-list celebrities and things like that. But that's, that's what makes me happy. I like walking around this building in the daytime and the amount of people that say hello to me. It's like you've got a million and one friends. Vernon Kay passed me on the stairs the other day. He said, you all right? I went, I think so. And he laughed. I'm not sure what sort of laugh it was. It might have been a happy laugh. It might have been a miserable laugh. I don't know. Producer, I know, harbours secret thoughts, you know, which make him happy. And that's, and that's nice, isn't it, really? If not a bit scary. But luckily we've got the door locked in here. On well, second thoughts, no, we can't lock this door. I've just realised we can't lock this door. But, uh, not from the inside. You can't lock it from the outside either. No. But some of the studios you can. You can actually lock on the inside. They've got a little lock on there. So you don't want people walking in on you when you're doing the programme. But So what makes you happy? If you, if you sit down and try and analyse it, you'll be there forever and a day. You know, I should imagine Charles Rowe is fairly happy. He used to do translation from German to English for, uh, for an item some years ago. <laughs> I'm not telling you. <laughs> of course I can out you and not Charles Rowe. Because, I, because he told me that in confidence. You know, and you didn't tell me that in confidence. You just sort of willingly, you know, imparted the information to me. Everything you tell... Well, you don't tell me anything. That's the trouble. You're secret squirrel, aren't you? You're secret squirrel. Well, of course I put it on air. I'm doing a radio programme. I'm a speech radio presenter. That's what I do. I put things on air that people tell me. That's why if anybody ever says to me, this, I'm going to tell you something, but don't mention it. I say, don't tell me. Because at some point, the words are going to just fall out of my mouth. So I'm going to keep you on tenterhooks this morning. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. I bet the answer's yes. It's uh, 11 minutes to five. 11 minutes to five. Where are we? Tuesday. What's happening today, Tuesday? Oh, I know what's happening today. Is it going to rain? Is it going to... I need to check whether it's going to rain today. I've got this horrible feeling it might, but I haven't got the, uh, the weather just yet. But uh, no doubt we will be getting it very shortly, and then I can tell you whether it's going to rain or not. Uh, £50 maximum for Mel and Sue, says Ali Ross. That's all he thinks they're worth. Because I watched them the other day. I don't quite know what they do on Bake Off. It's the usual BBC, let's waste your money and, uh, and waste everybody's time. Because they're not needed on the programme. Everything could be done by Mary Berry and by Paul Hollywood. They don't need another two people there. So perhaps that's the way that they're going to be going. Yesterday we decided that if it went to Channel 4, which is going to, we thought lesbian Bake Off. We thought that would be brilliant. I think that's the best idea I've ever come up with. And I'm pushing for Claire Balding to be presenting it. And uh, we thought Sue Perkins. And then I thought maybe, maybe not Sue Perkins. And then we thought of loads of other uh, lesbians who could appear on the programme. I thought it'd be a brilliant idea. A bri- I, I did point out at the time, and I did get roundly, uh, roundly shouted down by only one sad person, saying, because I said we, we didn't want the gay boys presenting it, thank you very much indeed, because it'll be the same camp old queens that we've had all the time. It'll be Judge Rinder, it'll be uh, Rylan and people, and I'm a bit bored with that kind of thing. So, you know, if we're going to find some butch gay men, that'd be quite nice. That I'd go for, people like sort of Tom Daly, far more of a role model than Judge Rinder, who just sits there with his receding hairline, looking more and more like some ageing old has-been. It's a bit embarrassing. I've not seen him on the dancing programme yet, but I'm assuming it's not going to be anything butch anytime soon. I bet he'll be leading. I've just got a feeling he'll be leading. Happiness, apparently, uh, says Sam, is a cigar called Hamlet. Do you know, you're quite right. That was the, that was the thing. They, they lit a light, didn't they? And it was, and it was, they had this sort of music like a piano, dum, 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 very, very slow. And they went, and they go, and the voiceover just went, happiness is a cigar called Hamlet. The mild cigar 
from Benson and Hedges. <laughs> and then there was another advert. Oh, Benson and Hedges. In the days when you could advertise cigarettes on the television, you can't advertise them now, can you? People are, are giving up smoking. Uh, Kate says happiness is to be... Uh, is to be... Contact with what you have and not wish what you can't have. It's to be content, I think you mean, with what you have. You see, but that... I mean, I was, I was great. When I was younger, I didn't have anything. I mean, I didn't have anything. And, and I existed when I first came up to London on very little. I had to. I didn't have any money. I didn't sign on. I didn't ever sponge off the government. I've never taken benefits in my entire life. Uh, and I've just managed to get through. And so when you end up with, you know, what would technically to some people be seen as just about everything, and you think, well, I am in my twilight years, for goodness sake, I'm entitled. It'd be a bit silly if I hadn't got this far in life and not to have a nice car, not to have a nice place, clothes and all that kind of stuff. But you just take it for granted. You know, now I'm in a fortunate position. If I see something I want to buy, uh, you know, within reason, I can buy it. If I see clothes I want to buy, I buy them. You know, that's, that's, how it, that's what you work for. You know, I work a six-day week. Some people, you know, thrive on benefits and moan about everything. Can't afford to get the next booze bottle in or something like that. Whereas I don't worry about that. Please tell me JLS isn't reforming, Steve. No. Well, apparently they've said they are. Whether or not it's, uh, it's true, I don't know. I'm hoping it's a joke. I can't see anybody. I mean, because what happens is when these groups like, like Bross rebout. Bross, uh, admittedly, there were two good-looking boys from, uh, from Chertsey. And and they sort of with uh, with Craig. I can remember I told you the other day seeing them coming up on the um, on the uh, the Wogan show, and they run down there and they were all yeah yeah. Bros love you, Bros love you. They were lampooned by everybody. People liked them, and they became celebrities of their day. But it was donkeys years ago. I mean, it was back in eighty something. Was it eighty nine? Something like that. I can't remember exactly what year it was. But it was ages ago. Their fans must be practically geriatric by now. They must be. If, if, if Matt Goss is 47. 47! That's sort of heading up to 50. And once you get to 50, that's kind of like... Ugh. I know they sold a lot of albums, but I just don't think that there is the interest there for them again. I don't think that they could fill a stadium. I think there'd be so many empty seats, it would be an embarrassment. And it would be an embarrassment for them. I mean, I would like to think that they'd save their money and, uh, and, and have sort of, you know, got it together. I, would have, I mean, I would have thought so. I would have thought so. But, you know, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Uh, so the Gaza story, fine 2000 for racism. You know, in a private hall with a security guard who was black. And, well, I'm assuming he was black. He was certainly ethnic. And uh, he said, smile so we can see you. And, of course, the audience obviously laugh. But then if you go to any comedian shows now, they take the mickey out of people. That's what they do. People love the audience participation. Go and see Frankie Boyle. And he will spend, as I say, you know, hours picking on people. And he'll call them every name under the sun. Seriously, every name under the sun. And you think, well, he's never been sued before. Why would, the, why would this be the case in this one? And uh, most of these comedians, the, old, the so-called alternative comedians, they've all been racist and, uh, and they've been, you know, homophobic. They've done everything. You know, I mean, if you go see Frankie Boyle, you better brace yourself because uh, if you're of a sensitive nature, you're really going to be depressed. You're going to come out of that one not knowing what the hell's going on. Uh, a lot of people talking about this uh, this phone fraud. And uh, happiness, says Mike, is seeing your children smile. Twice, he says, so I'm, uh, as I'm divorced. Yeah, kids, I don't know, I don't, I don't subscribe to happiness, is watching your kids smile. I think that's wind. 
And I think, no, I mean, you know, it's like happiness is seeing a Christmas tree. Happiness is, uh, you know, having your memories. I think that's why people smile at the end of their life, because they're going through all the things in their mind which made them happy. And I think to make somebody happy, it can be all sorts of things. It can be a, a memory of walking to school to get the school bus. It can be a memory of walking into school. Never walking into school made you happy. I don't know why. But, uh, you know, going for Christmas, having the Christmas tree, going out playing, that made you happy. All sorts. But then as you get a bit older, different things make you happy. You know, I always thought getting a, getting a brand new car would make me happy. Sadly to say, it didn't. I wasn't at all happy. I, I wasn't as euphoric as I thought I was going to be. I thought, oh, I'm going to buy this, this new car and I'm going to go, wow, I've got a new car. I didn't. I just worried about it. I just worried about the fact that somebody might crash into me. As it turns out, we managed to, uh, we managed to sort of destroy it quite happily by ourselves. Uh, Mike says, as my father used to say, money won't buy you happiness, but it makes being miserable easier to put up with. Yeah, money can buy you anything you want. You know, if I said to the producer, listen, do you, do you fancy coming out for lunch next week? He'd be there like a shock because it's a free meal. It's a free... All you have to do, give him a pot noodle. He'd be quite happy to sit there. You know, if you go, we've added some extra, you know, a little bit of chicken on top. Make it a bit more exciting. He'd go for that. He doesn't eat out very often. He can't afford to go to restaurants. Afford to prop up bars, you know, looking for the old Sheilas. But, you know, the idea of going... You know, his idea of taking a girl out is Nando's. That's his idea. You went to, you're in a restaurant... You've still got that job, have you? I'm really pleased about that. I, I put him... He was, he was after a job in a restaurant. And so I've got him a job as a, as a table clearer. And he gets his own apron and everything and his little badge with, Hi, I'm Mike. Say hello. And, uh, and he just clears tables. What, what sort of restaurant were you in the other week? What was that? What sort of restaurant was it? Very nice restaurant in Soho, was it? What sort of food was it in Soho? Steak. Wow. Steak from cows. Right. Oh, right. Lovely. Steak. They only do steak. What a boring restaurant. And they just do steak, do they? Does the restaurant have a name? It's, it's called what? What? Fat Iron. Fat. Flat Iron. A restaurant called Flat Iron? I've never even heard of it. What are, and they do steak, do they? And can you put their, their menu up for me on the screen? I'm sure you can. Yeah, well, you shouldn't have mentioned it, should you, in the first place? I'll make you work, you so-and-so. So, Flatiron. He went to Flatiron the other day. See, I thought he was going to say something exciting, like, I went to the Ritz or I went to uh, Gordon Ramsay, you know, in, in the hotel or something like that. So, let's have a quick look at what Flatiron do, ladies and gentlemen. See what they're... Uh, what they're here it is. Oh, right, they do... Um, oh, they've got quite a few. They've got uh, two in... Oh, right, two in Soho. And they do a butcher's feast, which is lovely. And uh, tables are bookable for 8 to 11 people. So, uh, yeah, do we... Oh, dear, honestly. Do not have a menu on there? Or is it just sort of sliced? Oh, right, it's just selling steak. Well, how much is it? Oh, it's steak on the... Ste steak's a tenner, is it? Oh, right. And you get your side as well. Is that included in it? Oh, right. Oh, well, that was quite nice, doesn't it? Oh, I like the look of that. That's OK. It's, it's one of those pretentious places. It comes served on a, on a wooden board by the look of it. You get the oh, you get the cleaver, do you? That's a bit dangerous, isn't it? If you've got the mad axe man in there. But, uh, a lot of people seem to like it. Definitely hitting flat iron again up in December. So it looks quite nice, doesn't it? I quite like that. And uh, also I've got a butcher. Oh, the chips look good. So, so you went out there. I mean, to be honest with you, it's very nice and it's very boho chic. Sort of thing the producer would probably like because it reminds him of the old Barbie at, uh, at home. And so that's why he likes it. But it's not what I would call, you know, a proper restaurant. 
you know, a city downy where they've got lots of different starters and stuff like that. Nando. We don't have a Nando's in Twickenham. It's Teddington. <laughs> and I only went there to help somebody out. But it looks nice, actually. I quite like steak. I can, I can, I can go for steak. And they're, they're, Yeah, let's go there. Should we book it in? Yeah, should, should we go when? When do you want to go? Friday. I uh, can't make Friday, thank God. Uh, but I'll, 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 I'll give you a rain check. Give you a rain... Uh, s- I could go Saturday, yeah. I could go... Sa- yeah, I could go Saturday. Yeah, I could go Saturday. You want to book Saturday in? OK, it's fine. Shall I bring some friends or just... Oh, right, just you. OK, that's great. Yeah, that's good. OK, Saturday it is. You watch. I bet he pulls out. I bet he pulls out. Anyway, coming up shortly, the news at five o'clock this morning. Gemma stunned into silence. The Bond girl by the TV quiz over her weight. The Del Boy tricks being used to sell you beauty products. Uh, how to get 12 inches on your balcony. It's rhubarb. I would go for that. It's just too much sugar in it. Uh, the firemen who rescue a thousand people a year so fat they can't leave home. And Holly and Phil are taking their show on the road. We're in the studio. Back after the news. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. Tuesday, 20th of September. It's Steve Allen's hugely impressive spike. Between now and seven o'clock this morning, a little bit sniffy, I'm afraid. I had a cab driver the other day. Who uh, who sneezed his way through, and I thought, oh, please don't pick up the uh, the cold. And then the other day, I went out, and I thought, oh, here we go. And so I'm just a little bit sniffy. I'm okay. I'm absolutely okay. The voice is still clinging on in. Every time I wake up in the morning, you know, if you've got a cold and you do what I do for a living, you wake up in the morning, you go la 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 in bed. It must sound a little, look ridiculous if there's any hidden cameras in my place, which there aren't. And uh, well, apart from the bathroom, and you go sort of la 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 like that. And if it sounds okay, I think I'll get up and go to work. Because I had this feeling I might last night about to phone the producer and go, you're going to have to get somebody to cover me tonight because I'm just not well enough to come in. But uh, I'd, I'd have probably FaceTimed, actually, sort of laying there in bed, you know, <laughs> one hand draped across the pillow, the other with a hot water bottle clutched to my throat. Because in, in this business, it's, it's not much fun if you get a cold because it just sort of exacerbates the situation. But I've got two interviews to do today, so I've, just, I've got to get on and do it. So I'm kind of putting it to the back of my mind. I'll just forget about it, for goodness sake. And uh, Philip says, wouldn't the Bross and Peter Andre tour be better known as the Parish Hall tour? Yeah, well, it could be, actually. It could be. <laughs> uh, uh, somebody says here, uh, raises a very good point, actually, that says... Uh, oh, I've lost the bloody thing. Where is it? Uh, it says... Uh, wait a minute. Flatiron is a place in Colorado. Is it? Well, there you go. And, uh, and somebody was, uh, that's right, uh, Malcolm says, talking of happiness, I always thought you thrived on other people's misery. I do. That makes me happy. The more miserable somebody is, the happier I am. I, I mean, I, I do thrive on things like that. <laughs> that makes me very, very happy. You know, you've got to. What's the point of sort of, you know, going along with everybody else nowadays? I just, I really, really, you know, do it. And Steve says, Mark, happiness is hoping the 5am Isle of Wight ferry leaves on time. It's 4.56 and still ain't boarded yet. The Isle of Wight Ferry. Are you coming out or going in to the Isle of uh, Wight? Steve, how can anybody be truly happy knowing that one day they will die? Oh, that's nice. Sean says the only true answer is Jesus Christ. He said he'll save us if we have faith. Yeah, well, um, loads of people don't have faith nowadays, uh, but they're really happy. The only misery I see, unfortunately, is in a lot of churches. There is a lot of misery of people going there to try and find something that is missing in their life. And if you have to go somewhere 
and try and, you know, find a bit of happiness. But as, as you know, we don't do religion on this programme. I'm, relo- I'm not remotely bothered by somebody's religious beliefs. I couldn't get You could worship a teapot, as far as I'm concerned. It doesn't bother me. I'm just not interested at all. It's a subject of more contentious debate than anything. You know, talking about that and, uh, you know, religion across the world. And it's just, it just provokes an argument. So there's no point in talking about it. So I don't. I don't. Happiness is, according to Peter, egg-shaped. Now, that one I don't remember. I don't remember. Uh, 50 degrees, says Anisha. 50 degrees in Dubai. Ugh. Missing the heat. Missing? Are you mad? Oh, that is... I couldn't cope in that. The producer and I would have to be covering ourselves in sort of after sun and sun lotion and... Oh, that would be terrible, wouldn't it, really? But uh, Anisha says, I've been a, a chauffeur for the last 23 years. I'd love to have the chance to drive you in my black Mercedes. You're not going to get me in a Mercedes. In a Mercedes? Are you serious? You read about Diana? I'm not getting in a Mercedes. No, it's going to be a Bentley Anage or nothing. <laughs> and uh, somebody else talking about the Isle of Wight ferry. Um, uh, somebody else says, um, it says, it's not how much we have, but how much we enjoy that makes happiness. There's only one happiness in life, to love and be loved. You think so? So I don't actually think that's... that's so I'm going to have to just blow my nose. Just bear with me one second. This is exciting, is it, on the radio? Cutting-edge radio, as they say. <laughs> I can't do it now. I'll just, just wipe my nose a little bit. <laughs> no. No, I don't want to be faded down. If I'm going to blow my nose, I'm going to blow my nose. People have heard me over the years with coughs and colds and wheezes and everything else. In fact, I remember the time when I just... I coughed my way through the programme. In there, and even my poor boss said, you need to take some time off. He said, it just sounds awful. I said, I can't help it. But I hate taking time off, you know me. It's just really awful. (laughs) How to blow your nose on air and turn it into a feature. Do I want a tea? Green tea? Do I look like I drink green tea? Why are you being nice to me all of a sudden? What's the matter with you? Oh, because I'm sick. So all of a sudden, because I'm sick, he's nice to me. Yeah. I can't see you being Mother Teresa any time soon. Oh, would you like a cup of tea? Oh, I'd like a hot water bottle. That's not your sort of thing at all, is it? Although, actually, I think you could probably be quite good at it. I'll let you know after after the meat cleaver in, incident on Saturday night. That's why it's not called the meat cleaver, is it? What's it called? Flat iron. Why is it called flat iron? That's a bit odd, isn't it? That's a funny name, because I remember a flat iron. There was a song about a flat iron. I don't know when a flat iron... And because they used to do ironing with it, you'd, you'd put them on the on the stove to heat up and then you'd sort of iron over the top. I think that was a flat iron. But there's a song, I'm sure, and I can't remember what it is. Uh, 84850, steve at uk. Uh, somebody else is also saying, Stephen Wiltshire says uh, happiness is 4am every morning on LBC. And as long as it goes like that, uh, the happier I am. And as I've just got a... A nice new contract. Thank you very much indeed. That means that we can we can eat for the next year, which is good. I've got a cold coming on too, says Mike. Uh, got any good remedies to get rid of it quick? I wish. I wish. Believe you me. I'm on uh, Benlin day and night tablets uh, at the moment. And like, look, that's how, that's how sniffy I am. I cannot stop the sniffing bit. It's very annoying. And uh, as long as everything else stays intact, I'm going to be fine. Uh, you can't expect a Ferrari if you pay for a Mini. Who said that? This was a, a surgeon who'd given a boob job to some woman and she paid £3,500 for an operation to fix her sagging 
breasts. But she complained after being left with misshapen, painful and leaking boobs. Uh, the surgeon was unable to repair the damage and told her what you expect from £3,500 surgery. Nursery nurse Alex says, I was heartbroken and furious. I've still got so much scarring and I doubt I'll ever get over it. Um, the implants were eventually removed a year later. He's been struck off following a string of complaints against him. And she's, and it does look dreadful. It does look dreadful. But then people do this, don't they? They go out and they get boob jobs and then they complain afterwards. You know, if you're already spending three and a half thousand pounds, you're not going to be getting a lot. So I'm kind of with him, but at the same time, he had to be struck off. A picture of little Brooklyn Beckham. Isn't it funny? You thought Brooklyn Beckham, being bright, but I'm not totally convinced he is particularly bright, heading out on his skateboard, you know, when he's recently split from this uh, American actress who's doing really well without him. He, of course, is just out with a photographer. And um, they were... It, it's just, you know... It's just a bit sad, really. The poor Brooklyn doesn't appear to have any friends. He appears to be Billy No Mates. He goes out there. We know all about the family and the exposure of, you know, getting pictures of themselves in the papers and everything else. But, you know, you'd have thought after he finished with one girlfriend, he'd be out trying to find the next one. But no, he's playing on his skateboard. Makes you wonder why they split up in the first place, doesn't it? Talking of splitting up, here they all are. This is some of the fastest cars in the world, but they brought Piccadilly to a standstill. It's the show-off brigade. Uh, it's a firm which customises high-end motors. And um, 40 supercars dazzled crowds, but those caught in jams must have wished that they just hit the road jack. Yeah, it's it's some company, they go out there and they show off. They're a little bit exhibitionist. And for some reason, uh, boy racers like looking at these uh, these cars, which just look a bit tragic, really. I feel a bit sorry for these people. They have no class whatsoever. They've just got cars which they've tarted up and resprayed and done all sorts of things with, and then people and they and they rev them up. One of the blokes said he said we rev them up to excite the crowds. I thought pathetic little child. Honestly, it really is very embarrassing. So I'm quite glad that we don't have a car like that. Thank you very much indeed. Get them home for Christmas. The fight for six in the Indian jail. The top brass are backing the heroes' plea. They've got to get them back. They've been in there far too long. Uh, also, um, the last place you'd expect a handbag to be stolen would be at the Emmys in a room full of multimillionaires. But Amanda Abington noticed her purse had gone. Uh, she was furious um, because she said she left it under a seat when she went up to go and collect an award. And when she got back, it had gone. Well, I mean, that's either the person to the to the to the left of her, the person who's the seat sitter, or the person behind. Narrow it down that way. It's not going to be somebody just walking down from nowhere, picking up the bag from under the seat and walking off with it, is it? Anyway, for some strange reason, the uh, the LA police said they had no details about the theft. But uh, Amanda was convinced it was still missing last night. But you'd think the police would know about it, wouldn't you? But they didn't. But they didn't. So it makes you wonder, if is, is it true or not? I can't imagine at the Emmys, you put your bag under the seat... Like, you, you go up to collect your award, and then you come back, because you're generally going to be sitting with somebody who knows you, and they have seat sitters. So when somebody stands up for the Emmys and goes up there, somebody goes, choo, 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 and they slip into that seat and sit there, so it doesn't look as though there's vacant gaps all over the place. So if you want to go to the toilet, four of you do, there are people rushing about all over, and they're generally blokes who do it. In this particular case, she puts it under the seat, goes off, comes back, and it's gone. Well, it is either the person who sat in the seat, the person behind, can't be the person in front, they'd have to get out of their seat and come around, put the hand on the seat. So it's either the person behind who has put their foot, and then they would have to be seen by somebody else. Sounds highly suspect, doesn't it? Sounds highly suspect. Uh, Neanderthals were not as dumb as experts thought, and they made tools. They made tools. 
Apparently work items found in a cave in France from 40,000 BC. 40,000 BC. Were thought to have been crafted by early humans. They've got bone fragments, primitive jewellery. They've got um, fish hooks made out of snails, apparently. Isn't that amazing? Oh, storms, incidentally. I love the story about the storms. I thought the storm was, was really, really good. Uh, this is the new ones hitting our shores. We'll be called Wilbert, Malcolm. Malcolm, you get a storm. And Camille. There you go. There are 10,000 nominations. A lot of sad people coming up with the name of a name of a storm. I like the name of Wilbur. I'm not too sure about uh, Malcolm. Storm Malcolm. Doesn't quite sound right, does it? Uh, a lot of everybody else suffering with colds. But as you know, if you've got a cold and you've not had the flu jab, you've got to wait till the cold goes before you can have it. Flat iron is a cut of steak, one of a number of cheaper cuts, which are currently fashionable. Oh, right. So that's why you go there. How much did it cost for this, this meal? How many of there were? You must have been a few of you, weren't there? Did you manage to find some friends, or is it a little bit... You're just like Wagamama, you just go and sit at somebody else's table and pretend they're your new friends. So, uh, who did you go with? Go on, you can tell me. I'm, I'm an adult, I've been around a bit. Your best mate's parents are from Australia. It must have been all new to them, eating out and sitting down to actually eat, as opposed to sitting on the grass on a tarpaulin. So, uh, so, so you, your best mate... Oh, your best mate's parents. Oh, right. Oh, that was nice. So did, did, did you treat them? Like hell you did. Uh, did they treat you? They, tr- they treated you. Yeah, that was good. How much was it? Yeah, Bill. Oh, right. What, what did you... So you, they just do steak. Do they do starters or not? Sides. Yeah, sides would be slaw and stuff like that. Chips and that kind of... Is it funny how chips is a, is a side now? They do that in Nando's, but they're only serving chicken. Peppercorn. Yeah, all right. I make a big deal about peppercorn sauce. So you had the uh, the steak sliced up for you on your board with your hatchet. Uh, do they do puddings as well? Do you have a pudding there? Spotted dick or something, would they have? Anything like that? Anything interesting? Oh, we've got to do the travel. OK. It's uh, quarter past five. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. I used to work in a steakhouse, Steve, um, uh, which was called the Outback. Well, I went to the Outback in America. They had one here, which was in Staines. I seem to remember it was in Staines. I mean, there might have been another one elsewhere. But uh, the one in America was fantastic. Because it, it, the, I just thought the meat tasted better. Anyway, he says, that We used to use different weights for the steaks in order to get the perfect temperature from however you wanted it cooked. And the weights were shaped like irons, hence flat iron. So you're kind of correct in what you say. And there was a song, wasn't there? Dashing away with a smoothing iron. So not a, not a flat iron, but a smoothing iron. Same sort of things. Uh, Steve, I've just finished my antibiotics for a bad chest infection. Still don't feel right. Len in Manchester reckons happiness is feeling contented. Yeah, but what does that mean? What does that mean? Nobody knows how to define it, do they? Nobody knows how to define it. Steve, do you think Saturday's Best Of will feature your nose blowing? Well, I don't know. It depends what, what the producer decides to put in there. Could be, couldn't it? Steve Allen blowing his nose on air, pushing radio to the outer limits. Nobody else does that. Have you ever heard anybody else doing that? Nobody else. No, of course not. I'm setting a trend. People everywhere will be listening to this programme this morning. Other radio presenters up and down the country go, do you know, the blowing the nose thing is a winner. Let's get, you know, blowing the nose and we can do that. Don't make up your own jokes, please. It's going to be embarrassing because I know you're thinking about a joke and it's, it's no good. You're just stretching yourself. Anyway, I did find out that when he went to the flat iron for his thing, he went with, you know, um, some his, his best friend's parents who he managed to con, sorry, convince, uh, to pay for his dinner. So he didn't have to pay for his dinner. I bet he was throwing back the booze like there was no tomorrow. I bet you were. Did you have much booze in there? What were you drinking? 
the second bottle of wine. Actually, I, I discovered, I went out ages and ages ago with, uh, with Barbara Windsor and her husband, Scott, the lovely Scott and Barbara, and we go to the Ivy, and they don't drink. And I was the only one drinking. And you know what it's like? You know when you have a, have a glass of wine and you think, well, actually, I could probably do the bottle quite easily. But because I was with people who didn't drink, I was quite good. I kind of held back. But Barbara said to me, she said, you want some more wine, Stevie? You have more wine. Have more wine. I felt a bit, I went, no, no, I'm fine. Oh, all right then. <laughs> it's difficult, isn't it, to know what to do when you're in sort of mixed company. If I went out with a producer, I wouldn't have any hesitation in ordering, you know, bottles of wine or things like that, because he, he probably has got one of those funnels down his trousers, which just sort of pours it in there and it goes into a flask strapped to his leg, sort of thing. Uh, flat iron is a cut of, st- oh, we've done that one, a, lot, a number of cheaper cuts. Uh, happiness for me, Steve, would be uh, winning the lottery. People who say money doesn't make them happy must be rich or good liars. I'd rather be rich and sad, not poor and happy. Well, actually, I'm, f- I'm fine both ways. I was just as happy when I didn't have any money as to when I did have money. You know, you know having money and not having money, it's all roughly the same to me. It just means you kind of, you kind of sort of adjust your life. Apparently the Flatiron Building is in New York, says Johnny. Well, there you go, you see? Told me something I didn't know. I learned something new. And uh, <laughs> Malcolm says the song is "Thank You Very Much," which was the uh, who was that? Was it the Scaffold? Thank you very much for, for the Aintree Iron. It's, it's not Aintree Iron, is it? I can't remember what the uh, the line is in the song. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you very 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 much. Thank you very much for the Aintree. Oh, I can't remember what the line is. I don't. It don't I don't think it's Aintree Iron. I'm pretty certain it's not. Uh, the weather for today. Have we got the weather yet? Where is the blooming weather? Why has the weather not arrived? I'm very worried about this. Very worried about the weather. The celebrity on yesterday's Who's Doing the Dishes was David Van Day. Deluded, Steve, would be an understatement. It's really cringe TV at the best. Yes, I mean, I watched um, Martin Platt, who was married to Gail, turning up. And I don't think they got him either. I thought you would have got, actually... David Van Day. I've always gotten very well with David Van Day. Always. And uh, you're thinking, says Philip, of the old song, Dashing Away with a Smoothing Iron. Well, found the weather. Oh, it's a bit small writing. Can you make it bigger? Can you make it bigger? How long will it take? Just to sort of... Get... It's dreadful, isn't it, really, when you can't read something... Oh, that... Oh. <laughs> That's the same as it was before. Oh, here we go. It's going to take forever and a day now. Some people are very good at cut and pasting, and some people aren't good at all. Oh, that's fine. That's lovely. Now it's way too big. Now you kind of get... Yeah, all right. I'm now getting dizzy, watching it moving about. Cloud and rain. Oh, it's gone. <laughs> it's gone again. There it is. Cloud and rain, clearing to sunny spells and isolated showers. Today, a cloudy start. Hill fog. I mean, how many hills have we got round here? And showery rain in places at first. Which places? Slowly becoming drier and brighter, with a risk of heavy showers in the east. I'm in the west. Maximum temperature today, 18 centigrade, 64 degrees Fahrenheit. Tonight, the showers will die away throughout the evening, cloudy overnight, allowing some isolated mist fog or hill fog patches to form. 15 centigrade. I don't know why I keep thinking it's Friday tomorrow. It's not. It's only Wednesday. And Wednesday is early mist or fog patches, lifting and clearing during the morning, sunny spells developing, few showers in the afternoon and evening. Maximum temperature tomorrow, 20 degrees centigrade, which is a little bit warmer than it will be today, 68 degrees Fahrenheit. And for Friday night when we're out, going out to the old flat iron, producer and I, I'll be taking the car into town. He'll be you know, saying, oh, can I sit in the car, Steve? And of course, uh, I won't be letting him. Because unless I've got the plastic covers for the seats, he's not sitting on my Connolly hide. Uh, sunny intervals, scattered showers Thursday, some heavy clearing later. Few showers possible on Friday, but mainly dry and sunny. So that's OK. That's OK. Because I thought what, what we could do is sort of go out for something to eat and then perhaps do a bit of a pubby crawl. 
something like that. You know, he'd go out there and sort of meet a few people. You know, I could be introduced to some of his chums that he's probably got in the bars. Mainly the people working behind it, I should imagine. 84850, uk. It was yesterday that Phil Vickery... No, it wasn't. It was the day before. Phil Vickery says um, that duck is apparently easy to cook. He says, trust me. Because I want to cook duck, but at the same time, I keep thinking it's going to be very messy. Very messy. Dan tells me it's raining now, Steve. Thank you. Just what I don't need. I don't want to hear rain today, because I did not bring an umbrella. And another one here, Nigel. Uh, the answer is no. No, not at all, I'm afraid. But uh, we're, we're, we're delighted to be here, which is great. In fact, I'm delighted to be anywhere. Steve, happiness is talking to my wife, says Thomas. Uh, talking to the wife over the phone and the children, who are more than 5,000 miles away back home in Florida, whilst I'm still here in Germany for the time being, knowing that they love me. Yeah, because you think they're in Florida, don't you? They're not in Florida. They've moved. They've moved. That's why. <laughs> he says, just listened to your show the other day for the first time. Like it. Of course you do. Everybody else likes it. Heavens above. The psychology of happiness is work and reward. Simples, says Peter. I think, I think you're probably right, actually. I think it is. It's working and being rewarded for working. I think that's nice. You know, somebody appreciates what you do for a living. And it doesn't matter whether you're flipping burgers or, you know, pulling pints or something like that. It's somebody appreciating it. Somebody saying to you, gosh, you look really good today. You look really nice today. I mean, I said to the producer, I thought I was being kind. I said to him, have you put on weight? And for some reason, that kind of sort of irked him a little bit. And he sort of looked at me like, you know, yeah, fat boy. You know, but I, I, I did think genuinely he had put on weight. I said, I don't mean that in a, in a nasty way. I mean that in a, in a caring kind of way. You know, as only I can be. And so, uh, anyway, I'm sure that on Friday when we go out for dinner, we're going to learn a lot more about uh, him. Certainly nothing more about me, but certainly loads about him. And I will be recording the conversation for future transmission. So you'll be able to hear exactly what he sounds like. Not that it'll make any difference to your life. Uh, other stories in the paper today. I d- do not get me started on puppy breeding and the filth who uh, who deal in this vile trade. 1,900 puppies, hundreds and hundreds die every... They couldn't care less. They're just vile, disgusting people. I mean, I, I really... I cannot begin to describe to you how I feel about the puppy hell and what these poor dogs go through. Packed into... There was one a short while ago. 15 puppies packed into the boot of a car. Coming over from Ireland, which is where a lot of them seem to be emanating from at the moment. It's just filth. They're bred in the most awful conditions. They had a television programme where they went into a shed and it was pitch black. And so they had infrared cameras. Luckily, there were no security around there at all. And the disgusting conditions that these puppies were kept in is it almost beggars belief. It, I mean, really, it's, it's just... I don't even want to go there. I, I get so angry thinking about it because uh, I had a run-in with somebody a few years ago. Luckily, they lost because they were vile. Absolutely disgusting. Um, what else we got here? Uh, it's, oh, Mylene Class is happy and enjoying life with her hot man. Too much information, darling. Way too much information. We don't need to know that kind of thing. I don't think it matters, does it? And the number of smokers plunges to the lowest ever as millions of people quit. I know. Listen, don't. I don't want to go down... You know, the anti-smoking route, because I was a smoker. I was a smoker. I smoked since the age of 14. I loved every minute of it. I really did. I, I could get through... Well, at the end, as you know, I was doing 60 cigarettes a day and, uh, and loving every minute of it. But I'm telling you, you will get emphysema. You will develop that cough. Uh, your skin will go really bad. You'll end up really, really lined and wrinkly. It's really, really difficult. 
to give up. I know what it's like. I know. People have tried hypnosis. They've tried the Alan Carr method. They've tried all sorts of things. And there are people who can help you. You know, Alan Carr has probably stopped more people or helped more people to stop smoking than anybody else. I did it on the patches. Worked for me. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. Nice to have you company. Tuesday, 20th of September. It's Steve Allen with you till 7 this morning. Every morning, Monday through Friday on LBC. Uh, Lots of stories about supermarkets today. Uh, One story about supermarket chickens kept in their own excrement uh, because we're obsessed with chicken. In this country. Don't ask me why, we're just obsessed with it. At one time it was pork, and uh, it's beef if you're rich, and it's chicken for everybody else. And you can buy a chicken from as little as about £2.50, I think, in some of the supermarkets, going up to a small fortune if you want a really tasty bird, as they say. And it uh, always goes quite well. Uh, the other story is how much the supermarkets throw away. How many tonnes of food the supermarkets throw away, which can be used to help other people? Because once it gets past its sell-by, they throw it away. Some supermarkets, well, in fact, a lot of them do give away their stuff, but they don't give away as much as they, as they probably should do. Um, the other story is, uh, as the, uh, the fans have said so long, farewell to Liesl. And that was because uh, Charmian Carr died the other day. They've asked what happened to uh, all of the people, uh, to Marta who's played by Debbie Turner. She's 60 now, and uh, she runs a floral and event company uh, in Minnesota, as well as designing Santa Claus dolls. And uh, she considers her co-star family because they spent a lot of time together. Kurt, played by Dwayne Chase, he's 65 now. He lives in Seattle with his nurse wife, who's called Petra. And uh, Brigitte, Angela Cartwright, she's 64 and uh, what does she do now? She's uh, been a photographer, and she still runs Sound of Music tours in Austria, where she shares her memories of working on the film. Captain Von Trapp, of course, Christopher Plummer, he's 86. He lives uh, in Connecticut with his third wife. Rolf, the actor who played the teenager who chose the Nazis over Liesl, is 73. His name was uh, Daniel Truhit, and uh, he spent much of his life performing in Sound of Music tribute shows. Is that a 73? Uh, as you know, Maria, Dame Julie Andrews, is 80. She's 80. I mean, it just doesn't seem possible, does it? Uh, she's got three daughters, nine grandchildren and three great-grandchildren. She was married to Blake Edwards uh, until 2010 when he died. Nicholas Hammond, who played Friedrich. And uh, he went to Australia to play a yachtsman, Dennis Connor, in a TV miniseries. Lives in Sydney with his partner, the Australian actress Robin Nevin. Uh, Gretel... Von Trapp, played by Kim Carruth, is now 58. Uh, Friedrich, incidentally, is 66. She's still acting and remains close to her Santa Music co-stars. Louisa Von Trapp. Uh, which one was Louisa? I don't remember. See, I don't remember Louisa. She's the one who sort of disappeared. She's... No, she's not short. She's about the same height as, as Friedrich and all the rest of them. She wasn't that short. I, ju- I just don't remember her from... from... Yes, yeah, she was second, I think. She was a 14-year-old drama student, and she was cast as the third... Von Trapp, a child. But uh, she, uh, her husband died in 2002. She's now a fundraiser for cancer research and support for patients and her family. And she's 66. 66. My God. So many of them still going. In fact, the only one we've lost is Liesl. So for that, we should be grateful that they're all still out there. And the idea that Christopher Plummer is 86, I found very rewarding. So it was quite nice to find out what, uh, what really happened. And the, and the true story of the Von Trapp family. You should go and check it out. 
And uh, I know that there are those people who absolutely hated the film. They said it was too sugary, too schmaltzy, but I thought it was brilliant. And people still go to Salzburg, which hated the film, hated it beyond belief. They didn't want to acknowledge it. They loathed everything about it because they transferred, uh, transformed Salzburg into this place that reminded the Von Trapps of their, their experiences there. The scenery is stunning. There is no doubt that the scenery in Austria is among the most beautiful I've seen in the entire world. Whether it's grass, lush and uh, Edelweiss in the fields and daisies and buttercups and everything else, or in the winter when it's dusted with what looks like icing sugar, it is the most beautiful place. You cannot believe that somebody actually created it. It's gorgeous. And uh, in Salzburg now, they embrace the Sound of Music, the Sound of Music tours, the Sound of Music festivals. But at the time, they hated it. They didn't want it. They thought it was an intrusion. And all the places are there. You can go and see all the places which featured in the film, which I think is quite nice. At the same time, I think it's a bit sad. But then if you're a fan of The Sound of Music and you go, oh, my God, that's what it looks like. Oh, it's got other buildings around it. That's, that's the difference. That's the difference. And uh, 84850, steve at I'm going to sneeze again. I'm so sorry. Wait a bit. <coughs> oh, there you go. Two. Oh, no. Another one. <coughs> Three. Does three mean a cold? Yep, it sure does. Sure does. Daily Star this morning. Uh, they've got race wrap. Gaz told grow up. I have to be honest. There's no chance of uh, Gaz are growing up anytime soon. No chance. Uh, out on the road, it's Holly Willoughby and Philip Schofield. They're taking this morning on a live tour. Now you'll realise how short he is. When you see him, you'll be going. I thought he was really tall. No. No, he's actually quite uh, quite tiny. But they had a thing the other day. What was it? What was it? What was it? It was on the television. They were looking at spats between people. And it was one between the peculiar Neil Sean, who used to do gossip columns and, uh, and then gradually got dropped by just about everything uh, because he was, just, he was just odd. He was just peculiar. We used to use him on LBC, but he used to get all his information off the internet. He'd come in, go onto the internet and just copy it down. It was, it was ridiculous. But anyway, he had a spat... With Philip Schofield. I think I actually had a spat with quite a few people. And um, and when, when they got rid of him from Sky News, a friend of mine replaced him. And, uh, and, and then gradually he started being dropped. Then he wrote a book claiming that Prince William had endorsed this book. And, I mean, it was all... His whole life was just complete, complete pap, I think. But there was a spat between Pip Schofield and him. And it was on Twitter... I think at one point, Philip Schofield kind of lost his temper, which I think he's, he's prone to doing. You know, I always think those people on television whose image is sweetness and light and wonderful, they've definitely got another side to them. And Pip Schofield has undoubtedly got another side to him because he wants it to be right. He wants it to be exactly as it should be. I can name you chapter and verse on quite a number of people, which we probably both know. And... Um, and you'd be going, oh, but they're really nice on television. I'll be going, listen, let me tell you, I've seen them when they're being at their worst. So that's, uh, that's what it's like. But we don't do, uh, we don't do names on this programme. Uh, so grow up, judges fury at race rap Gaza. He goes outside, he gets his pictures taken. He's just, he's just sad. He's just sad and it's, uh, it's a little bit embarrassing, a little bit embarrassing for him. And uh, Olympic gymnast Lewis Smith is finding it hard to bag himself a girlfriend due to his extreme Harry Potter obsession. I don't think so. It'll be the incident with the mobile phones, won't it, Lewis? I'm only guessing, love. I'm only guessing. I would have thought it's the fact they can't trust you. And if you can't trust somebody, you don't go anywhere near them. So it's got nothing at all to do with a Harry Potter obsession. It's to do with the fact that they've obviously Googled you and they found out exactly what you're like. Just seen the Pick and OK magazine, says Ian. Joey Essex and Stephanie Pratt. 
She looks old enough to be his mother. Yes, well, I think, really, I think I'd have believed you if you'd said she looks old enough to be his carer. I would think that would be probably more realistic. It's pathetic, really. She's obviously desperate, and he's sort of desperate for something as well. Happiness is going to the dentist, says Dave, and finding it closed. Because we're going to be talking to Darren Brown today about what is happiness. What makes you happy? What is it that... uh, that sort of floats your boat. Uh, the mum is pictured in the paper, the 11th police attack. She's been spared jail. I don't know why. She's, uh, she's got a string of convictions. She's quite clearly a revolting piece of work. Uh, she comes to uh, us from Burnley. But she's been spared jail after insisting she's striving to be a good role model to her children. She drinks, she drinks three bottles of wine a night. She's a sad drunk. And uh, she's got 11 convictions for assaulting the police. I think, actually, it's about time the magistrates woke up in Burnley. And uh, they threw this woman in in prison. Anyway, whilst being escorted just outside Burnley Magistrates Court, she lashed out and headbutted a copper she was with. Apparently she's got a drink problem. Well, put her in prison. Put her in prison. She's too stupid for her own good. She received eight weeks in prison, suspended for a year with a nine-month alcohol treatment programme. Yeah, like she's going to be taking any notes. She's on benefits, of course. You're actually paying for that. You're paying for that person. It's not good news, is it? Not good news at all. 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. And uh, uh, Helga says, at the end of every working day, my boss would always say, thank you for your help today. Made working for him appear worthwhile. Yes, I agree, actually. I agree. I think, I think bosses recognising people, I think it's always good. You know, I always make, uh, make sure that, you know, at the end of the programme, I say to the, uh, to the producer, thanks, it was great working with you. I always have my fingers crossed behind my back, but I always say it, you know, because it makes him feel a bit, bit better about life. You know, it makes him go home thinking he's, uh, he's been appreciated. Uh, uh, Sam in Weymouth says, it is Aintree Iron. What does it mean? What does it mean? Thank you very much for the Aintree Iron. What does that mean? Can you get the words up on the screen of thank you very much? Get the words up on the screen on the computer. Yeah, it's called thank you very much. I think it's by the scaffold. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you very, very very much. Thank you very much. I'll find it if it kills me today. Uh, Also, uh, walk. Poor uh, Michael Schumacher can't even stand up, let alone walk. They were saying, oh, he's walking. Apparently not. Apparently not walking. Uh, And the young are now lapping up. Dry boozers. Here we go. Can we get the words up for it? Can we get the words? There you go. Oh, somebody said that. What and where is the Aintree Iron mentioned in the song? Here you go. And uh, it's a... Go back to the top. Go back to... That's right. Thank you. And uh, I once heard Mike McGear, somebody wrote here, Paul McCartney's brother, the lead singer of The Scaffold, defining Aintree Iron thus... Brian Epstein, the Beatles manager, was resident in Aintree, and he was gay. Iron hoof, poof, hence the Aintree iron. And uh, somebody says it was given to the gravitational marshalling yard built by the London and North Western Railway. And the iron was an abbreviation of gridiron given to two sets of sidings. (laughs) Unbelievable, isn't it? Somebody says it was uh, the foundry, an iron foundry. Aintree iron was included in their notepaper heading. So... Is it the Brian Epstein story? Is it the Aintree Iron? Uh, or is it something else? It's one of those. That's, that's what we will never, never discuss. Thank you very much for the Aintree Iron. Thank you very much. Thank you very, very, very. Well, there you go. So we've got the, uh, the lyrics down here. And it goes, um, 
Thank you very much for the Aintree Iron. Thank you very much. Thank you very, thank you for the Aintree Iron. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for the birds and bees. Thank you very much. Thank you very, very, very much. Thank you very much for the birds and bees. Thank you very, very, very much. It was a fairly simple song, if not a little bit repetitive. Uh, also, uh, thank you very much for the family circle. Thank you very much. Thank you very, very, very much. Uh, thank you very much for the... L- thank you very much for the love uh, in the bar. I don't know what that is, actually. But uh, it was a very popular song in its day. Which gives you a rough idea, you know, how much music has changed over the years. Look at the time. Look at the time. Quarter to six. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. 11 minutes to six, Tuesday, 20th of September. Did you know that there were boozers that are dry? I've never heard of such a thing. It seems a bit of a pointless exercise. But apparently they're very popular with students and young Muslims. You are kidding, of course. I've seen more Muslims drinking than ever before. You want to be round Piccadilly Circus on a, on a Saturday night? There's more Muslims drinking round here than you could shake a stick at. It's unbelievable. The venues differ from... If their parents are involved, of course, they're hiding it away. But believe you me, people are drinking. Oh, yes. Uh, apparently, there's no sight of beer anywhere. Uh, they show football... They've got pool tables and they host late-night comedy sessions. Some are lottery-funded and run by ex-addicts who don't want to risk being in a boozy environment. It's Nottingham. I don't think there's anything in London, is there? Apparently there is. There was. Redemption Bar in London's trendy Shoreditch offers mocktails and has the motto, Spoil yourself without spoiling yourself. Blimey. Bit of interesting, isn't it? To actually have a boozer with no booze. I suppose if you're an alcoholic, you don't really want to be uh, associated with with booze, do you? You want to try and stay well away from it. Well, as much as you can. It can't be that easy in this day and age. You buy it everywhere. But uh, I love the way they automatically think, oh, you know, because certain people don't drink booze, then they never drink booze. Oh, yes, they do. (laughs) Oh, yes, they do. Uh, What have we got here? This was a very interesting story, and I'm trying to find where it goes. I think it's on page nine of the Mail this morning. It's also featuring in... Uh, in other newspapers as well. To most film fans, she's the perfect English rose, but Gemma Arterton was yesterday forced to defend her size 10 figure. In a live TV interview, the 30-year-old actress was questioned about her weight in a very awkward exchange with Lorraine Kelly that led viewers to accuse the ITV host of body shaming. Miss Kelly asked Miss Arterton if she'd ever been told to shed pounds for a role, adding she looked normal in comparison to the tiny star she normally interviews. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, the actress sat and stared at Miss Kelly for a few moments in disbelief before telling her, that's because I am normal. Miss Arterton, who was appearing on The Lorraine Show to promote her new film, The Girl With All The Gifts, has spoken in the past about the pressure placed on her to lose weight and how she's been embarrassed by designers for not being smaller than a size 10. That's why I thought Lorraine would have asked about it. It seems perfectly normal to me. Viewers criticised Miss uh, Kelly's line of questioning. In posts, uh, somebody wrote, why would you even mention Gemma's weight? Well, because it's come up in news interviews. What are you talking about? Stupid people. That's what she's paid to do. Lorraine Kelly is supposed to sit there and ask questions which are pertinent. Because, you know... She's been, she's spoken in the past about the pressure placed on her to lose weight. So why would you not mention it? Of course you mention it. These people are so dumb out there. They really are. And then somebody said she's gorgeous, slim and beautiful. Well, she's not. She's not slim and beautiful. She's talked about the pressure of being asked to lose weight. Then somebody says, did I just hear, they always write this, did I just hear, you know what they sound like, don't you? ITV's Lorraine tell Gemma Arterton that she's fat, slyly. Lorraine, get your act together. However, a clinical psychologist says Miss Kelly was courageous for raising a contentious issue. Of course she was. 
Of course she was. These stupid people write on the internet. Bozos. Absolute bozos. Dr Sand says it's important kids don't aspire to an unrealistic body image. Miss Kelly, who's previously spoken about her own battle with weight, said to Miss Arterton, do you know what I like about you? You're normal. You're really normal and you're a normal size. But I must admit, I've had a few Hollywood actors in here and to be honest with you, Gemma, they're tiny, but you look normal. Does anybody ever say to you when you're doing all those big movies, you have to lose weight? I mean, just get over yourself, Gemma, for goodness sake. You're very lucky to get any primetime interviews, for goodness sake. That would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? But no, she was just doing her job, just asking a normal question. You know, the first question... What do you think the first question I asked Daniel Radcliffe? The first question... I knew, even before I'd gone in for the interview, the first question I asked him about his... Uh, about his uh, one of his latest films. He's got uh, three out. One is available on DVD, which is Now You See Me 2. And uh, one is Imperium. And the other is... Uh, uh, what do they call it? Swiss Army Man. And what was the first question? Did they make you a prosthetic bottom? And the answer was yes, they did make him a prosthetic bottom. And have you ever shaved your bottom? Yes, he shaved his bottom. So there you go. So you don't get questions like that on anybody else's programme. You only get them on LBC because we go sort of right to the... Well, certainly. Uh, right. <laughs> Why not? Uh, you know, we ask anything. He, but he's perfectly happy. He'll talk about anything. You know, if I said... I mean, I did say to him, you know, you don't put any weight. Because in a lot of this film, he's carried around on somebody's back. And I said, luckily, you, you know, you don't weigh very much. You know, he's, he's filled out nicely, but he's not fat. He's just normal body. And I would say to him, normal body. But bearing in mind that cameras make you put on pounds. I thought Lorraine Kelly was absolutely right to ask stupid people on the internet. They do ask the dumbest questions, don't they? They really do. Uh, other stories in the papers for today. The firemen who are rescuing a 1,000 people a year who are so fat they can't leave home. We did see uh, one. I mean, there were 994 incidents of clinically obese people who they couldn't get out of the house without a crane and a winch. Now, this is just gluttony of the worst possible kind. We had that girl a short while ago. They had to practically dismantle the front of the house to get her out. Two fire engines, three police cars. I forget how many ambulances turned up. I thought this is just a ridiculous waste of, uh, of resources uh, just to get her out. And what was it? It was because her parents had been buying her Kentucky Fried Chicken. The local delivery place is delivering to her all the time. She just lay in bed stuffing her face. And then so, so one of the papers thought, let's help her. So they sort of took her to boot camp and then... It's like, remember years ago, there used to be that big fat singer called Rick Somebody. Can't remember his name. He went on the fat camp with... Um, what's the other fat woman? Oh, um, Anne Widdicombe. We know she's on that because she went on fat camp. And it was designed to help celebrities lose weight. She didn't want to lose weight at all. She can't lose weight. She hasn't lost any weight. She looks exactly the same rotund little person she was before. And Rick, whatever his name was, who was a singer, he just got fatter and fatter. He didn't want to lose weight. He just wanted to be on a television programme. It's ridiculous. 84850, uk. A lot of people talking about supermarket chickens. And... Um, and uh, somebody says, Malcolm, I've heard that the Aintree Iron refers to the shape of the race course when it's prepared for the Grand National. Well, that doesn't feature in any of the uh, things that we looked at this morning. But, well, you know, we might not have got the uh, the right things in place. But, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'd like to believe that it was the Brian Epstein story. But I'm secretly believing they wouldn't put that in a song. And I thought maybe they would. Maybe they would. He was the man, wasn't he? He was in love with John Lennon and uh, fell hook, line and sinker for John Lennon. Uh, Brian Epstein, whose uh, family owned a record store. And he was the one who basically changed the Beatles' lives. Absolutely changed the Beatles' lives. Uh, here we go. We've got um, 
uh, an alert. Which paper do you think that could be? An alert about refugee numbers? Yes, you guessed it. It's the Express. And the Romanian crook booted out of Britain for a card scam has sneaked back in again. It's so easy to get back in again. He just wandered back in. Romanian Varga Viatel Vazil was sentenced to 22 months in jail for using card skimming devices. He's a crook. That's what he does for a living. He's a crook. Anyway, the sentence was slashed to 16 months. He served half, deported to Romania. And then he was back in again in August. That was after we got rid of him in December. But August, he came back in again and he was fitting another device. It's so easy. I'm sorry, I think we have to kick these people out and make sure they stay out. What are the border people doing? Are they incompetent? Despite being deported to his home country, he sneaked back in really easily using fake documents. He's now been jailed for two years and four months at further expense to us. I mean, why don't we just sort of, you know, take away any sort of... I don't know, why can't we do what Saudi does? It's ridiculous. I mean, this is just, you know, we want to stop these people coming in. He climbed out of a car and he just carried on doing it. He, uh, and, and, the, and the judge comes up with this claptrap, you know, which is, uh, you know, you, you try to deprive decent, ordinary, hardworking people of funds from their bank account. Why can't you just talk in a language that we all understand? You're a crook. You're going to prison. You're going to stay there for the rest of your life. Goodbye. Thank you. Take him away. Throw him in solitary confinement. Terry Wogan was authentic. The real deal says Lord Grade, ahead of a memorial service for Terry, who died in January. The ex-BBC chairman said he told you the truth, even if it made him look silly. He was a joy to work with, a joy to be with socially. He did enjoy his booze. I've spoken to a number of people uh, who appear on LBC regularly who said that Terry did enjoy... He enjoyed the old drop of the amber nectar. He really did. Uh, The service at Westminster Abbey next Tuesday would be a fitting tribute to the presenter who died aged 77. That's in uh, Radio Times. Which, of course, we know well, because we, uh, we did quite well out of that one. I can't believe Terry Wogan's not here. It's just, you, you do expect people to be here forever, don't you? You just don't, you sort of think 77, it just doesn't, uh, it doesn't seem that old at all. I know people who are way, way older, way, way older than that and doing quite well. But uh, Terry obviously just passed on. We should have actually sit Rick Waller, says Rob the bus driver. Rick Waller, thank you very much. Thank you. And, uh, and Steve says it was Rick Waller. Someone I couldn't think of. Where is he now? Didn't he sort of, he was going to be going out with some, some girl, some dreadful Z-lister from some programme who was just disgusting. And uh, she said she was, they were obviously in the early days of trying to sort of court publicity, but it didn't work. It's a bit like poor old Jodie Marsh, washed up completely now. Just looks sad, reflective on the television, but really of no interest to anybody. Never had any discernible talent. Just turned up, you know, on a few programmes and we went, oh God, not her again. Still lives at home, and I think she turned up on a dog programme the other day. Almost seems appropriate, doesn't it? Coming up to the news at six o'clock, it's Steve Allen's early breakfast. Why not confiscate the cars of drivers who use mobile phones at the wheels? The puppy breeders who cause misery, they couldn't care less whether your dog dies. The answer is don't buy, only go to reputable people and make sure that you see the parents of the dog. If you don't see the parents of the dog, don't buy it. Really, you shouldn't. Uh, the Ezi, Eddie Izzard beret grabber, he got fined £200, whereas people who disrupted thousands of people on their flights got fined £90, and they were all OK yar people. 77% of you want a drink limit cut, and uh, a woman reported a crash in Barnstable in Devon, but got it badly wrong. The sad, sorry story after the news, which is next. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. 
morning, everybody. It's Tuesday, the 20th of September, 2016. I don't know why I tell you the year. It makes no difference at all. It's nice to have your company. It's Steve Allen's early breakfast until 7 this morning, Monday through Friday, 4 till 7 every day. Tell your friends. It costs no money to listen to this programme. We have a free podcast for you, which you can get sent to your mobile or tablet. All you have to do is go to the LBC website, lbc.co.uk. It's free to download, and then every day you get a free podcast where... I'm particularly rude about celebrities, but that's what we've kind of built a reputation on. Somebody also pointed out that uh, Nicholas Hammond from The Sound of Music played the lead role in The Amazing Spider-Man for two seasons on CBS television in America. Thank you, Danny Cohen. I knew somebody would know. The Afghan-born suspect of the New York shootings hated everything about America. Uh, he'd been living there for God knows how many years. And what's the matter with these people? As I say, more than one or two screws loose. I'd have made him suffer quite badly. And um, he was, uh, I think he was a chicken shop owner or something like that. Whatever it was, actually, they're investigating uh, people from that address. Uh, They've got him on uh, CCTV. They managed to find him really quickly. Apparently, somebody found him in a doorway and recognised him as being somebody who was wanted. And uh, so it was the pressure cooker style device. Uh, there was a similar second one. So they know that there was a there was a pattern. And then because he was uh, injured, they actually t- took him to hospital as an emergency to uh, undergo emergency surgery. I'd have left him. I'd have left him waiting. Just sit on the trolley, just tie him into it, let him sit there and suffer as far as I'm concerned. I can't believe that we waste time with these people, especially in America. Uh, the smallest rhubarb in the world, 12 inches tall on your patio. So if you're somebody who, because we all live in an age now where there is no room and you probably don't have a garden, you know, if you're lucky enough to have a garden, then it's fantastic. But if you've just got a patio or a, a window box, you can grow rhubarb in it. And rhubarb's dead easy to grow. You literally put it in, leave it, and it just grows. And then you just sort of cut it back and it grows again. And uh, stewed rhubarb, delicious. I'm not sure if it's good for you. Probably isn't with the amount of sugar in there. Uh, 40% of kids don't know that eggs come from chickens. I don't know where they think they come from. Uh, Michael Schumacher can't walk or stand up. And uh, Poldark fans hitting out at one of the new actors' Scottish accents. Plus poor old Gemma. Stunned into silence by the TV quiz over her weight. It was only, it's something that's been brought up before. I would go through something and I would find a, something that I thought was unusual and I would ask the person the question. And all they have to do is just answer it and say, I don't know what that is. Or I know what that is. Uh, the Del Boy Tricks used to sell you beauty products. Amazing what guff you fall for nowadays. And uh, the puppy breeders. Don't start me on the puppy breeders. I'm not happy with puppy breeders. And also the story of the woman reporting a crash in Barnstable. In Devon, I'll tell you the sad story because it is, it is actually quite sad. <laughs> She's not the brightest penny in the box. But there again, we had a student the other day, didn't we, who actually managed to uh, lose money from her account because she'd answered one of these phishing emails. And uh, people said, how can you call for it? I mean, sorry, how, how, how could you fall for something like that? Uh, plus, have tattoos gone too far? As it's warned, they can harm your job prospects. They found out what employers think and whether the craze for body art has peaked. They've got uh, one particular woman, Mel C, has sort of probably encouraged people to have it done. Victoria Beckham's got a few tatty ones. And then, of course, poor old Dave. I mean, really, looks like he's wandered out of a trailer park. Very embarrassing. But uh, Margaret uh, Mountford, who's on The Apprentice, said that it holds people back. Uh, interestingly enough, in the UK, the law on equality in the workplace does not cover employees with tattoos as protected characteristics. So, in other words, if somebody says, I don't want you to work here, you've got not a leg to stand on because you're not protected. It's something you've had done and they don't want. 
So, in other words, if you were working... If I walked into a high-end jeweller in London, if I went to Cartier, I would not expect somebody to be sitting there with tattoos all round their neck. That would not be the image that they would be going for. They're attracting high-end customers. And no matter which way you look at it, tattoos look cheap. Especially people who've got them up their necks, up their faces, up their arms. It's terrible. It really is terrible. And so there is the danger that it can actually harm you getting a job. I only warn you now because Margaret Mountford is uh, is fairly sort of good on these sort of things. And if she says it's going to harm... I mean, in years to come, I have predicted there will be people who will be going out there and trying to get them cleared off. And I believe that you can get them cleared off, but it's it's quite a, quite a slow process. The woman reporting a crash in Barnstable is next on the agenda. The only reason I mention her is because when I first uh, read it, uh, I thought, oh, that's nice. Anyway, she got the wrong Barnstable. She got Barnstable in America. Don't ask me how that happens, really. She then accused the Massachusetts officer of not being local when he didn't recognise place names because she was calling from here because she was a bit simple. The mystery caller had followed a car which kept veering off the road in Barnstable, she said she was going up through Muddiford, going up towards Ilfracombe, where the shop is, and you've got the farm on the side. It went over the white line and hit a car. If it, so she's rambling on to a bloke in Barnstable, USA, not Barnstable in Devon. Eventually, the officer, Mark McWilliams, realises she's from Barnstable, North Devon, which gave the US SETI its name in the audio clip released by the Barnstable Police Department. He then joked, our response time is going to be about six hours. I mean, you, do, you imagine her frustration at calling up and him, and, and him going, where? And she goes, you know, the farm on the left as you go round the corner into Ilfracombe. And it's, they cross and you go, I've got no idea where that is. I don't know what you're talking about. She goes, well, you're obviously not a local police officer. Of course he's not, because she's called the wrong country. I love it. I tell you, the people in this country get dafter and dafter. Uh, Rick Waller is an an exam invigilator. What the dickens is that in Kent? I don't even know what that is. I've got no idea. Is he still the same size as he was before? Uh, All of the scaffold singers, Mike McGear, Roger McGough, John Gorman, are still alive, listening from sunny beachfront with Sea View. In Bulgaria, says Alan. How lovely, Bulgaria. It's quite a nice place, isn't it? And uh, Jeannie says, I always found Terry Wogan slightly arrogant in his interviews and Eurovision programmes. Oh, never arrogant. I thought the, the, the whole idea of the, uh, of the Eurovision stuff was to gently chide. I thought that was brilliant. It was, uh, apparently... Uh, then my husband came home one day and said he had a new client. It was Terry Wogan. Apparently he was charming, polite and grateful for services rendered. Well, there you go. So he should be. He was a charming man, quite charming. He just enjoyed a bevy. But then I could name you quite a lot of people. I enjoy a bevy as well. If I'll make it to 77 years old, but I'll have a blooming good try. There's a picture of uh, poor old Tom Hiddleston going out with Bollywood star uh, Priyanka Chopra. I've never heard of her. I've never heard of her. But anyway, he obviously thinks it's going to get him some sort of attention. The trouble is he's just looking... It's a dreadful picture of him. Really, really bad. He just looks a bit, uh, a bit geeky. But as I say, thank God he's never going to be James Bond. So that's, uh, that's always a, a bit of relief. Got him. It's a story in the sun this morning. They're all running with it, the papers. This is the uh, man from America, Ra'ami. And uh, he was handcuffed. And he has... Uh, uh, he, they pulled his shirt up to show he's got no explosive vest on because you don't know with people like this. But he was shot in the cop battle. They should have just let him die there slowly but surely. Would have been a lot easier. The man who pinched Eddie Izzard's 
pink hat, said he had no idea who Eddie Izzard was. Which, of course, I suppose, you know, you might believe. You might believe. I don't know whether or not it's, uh, it's true or not. Um, but he, he got fined about £190. And uh, the chief... Uh, th- th- this guy, he's a chef. His name is Zerwonka. I know, I thought it was sounded a bit like Willy Wonka, but Zerwonka. He comes from Brentford in West London. He admitted the theft and was fined 185 quid, and I should imagine he'd probably be losing his job wherever he is. Can't imagine what he, uh, where he cooks in Brentford. I've been through Brentford. Not many places round there, apart from sort of like cheap burger bars. Certainly nothing of any class round there, not that I remember. Ali Ross's television page, always very good, talking about the, the Desert Island failures. Ollie, Lydia Dim... Karen Danjuk, Mark from that ridiculous hotel, and Ollie Locke, the camp one from Made in Chelsea. Yes, it's a sad reflection on the time that these people just exist in front of television cameras. I tell you what was fantastic the other day. Fantastic on television. It was the housewives of... I can't remember. But they all looked as though they were, they were, they were in some dodgy sort of dealing. There was one woman there, and it's where they have the, uh, the camp bloke who sits in the middle, and then you bring all the girls on... And it's a lot of mutton dressed as mutton. And and they start arguing. This woman's got a vile temper on her. Then they bring on the husband, whose name was whatever. He looked like... Anyway, he, he could be going to prison for ten years because he was fiddling his licence or something. He was banned for as a driver and he fiddled it and all the rest of it. And the language. Unbelievable. Seriously. I was sitting there shouting at the television. I get myself into a right old state. I watch these things, and he was, and then this woman screaming and shouting at these other women there. You don't know nothing about my life. You don't know that. And they're quite clearly people who are as bad as the old baggages we got in this country. They're desperate for the attention. That's all they want. They crave the oxygen. And they're now doing, I think, the housewives of somewhere else. Only the American ones are brilliant. The the nearest we get to it is the housewives of somewhere in Cheshire. And frankly, it's a bunch of uglies who passed their sell-by dates about 35 years ago. It's, it's of no interest to anybody because they're not in the same league as the ones in America who really, they know how to play it. They know how to play it. It was just brilliant. It's the most exciting thing I think I'd seen in a long while. I hope, that, hope it's repeated. It's, it's the bloke who actually sits in the middle. It's the bloke who sits in the middle, who sort of, you know, asks some questions to wind them up. It's, it's just brilliant. Mick says, where is Rick Waller? In his bedroom, tucking into a bucket of Kentuckys. Yes. I saw the Gemma Arterton interview, says Simsy. Nothing awkward about it. Lorraine was brilliant and professional. She was just asking a question that was in... It would have been in the briefing notes. She's had problem before where... And she's talked about it. So why would it be odd when Lorraine mentions it? I don't, I don't quite understand where stupid people on the internet be butting in. But they don't know anything about it anyway. And they don't understand how interviews work. If Gemma Arterton wanted to sit there and start playing dumb and stupid, well, then she achieved it. Lorraine was just asking a question of something that she talked about in the past. Unless they come back, these celebrities, you know, with sort of a, a thing of, listen, don't ask about... So I had it a while ago with a, a famous group who came in, two members of a famous group... And the PR had said to me beforehand, don't ask them about their time in the group. I was okay, because they don't want to talk about that. Okay, fine. Within one minute, they started talking about their time in this group. And I looked at the PR as if to say, you stupid. They quite clearly do want to talk about it. And what it is, it's PRs jumping above their their station and going, oh, they don't want to talk about that. They only want to talk about the present project. 
Which, of course, was not true at all. People want to talk about everything. I'm always very gracious when I talk to people about their, their careers. I'll, I'll weave in whatever they're doing at the time, but I want to talk about everything else as well. That's why the Daniel Radcliffe interview will be worth hanging on to. It's this weekend. I'm pretty concerned. Uh, pr- pretty convinced. <laughs> concerned. I'm not concerned, believe you me. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. It's a bit odd, isn't it? 22 minutes past six. 22 minutes past six. I noticed something the other day at the petrol pump, because I'm prone to looking at the prices on, on petrol. And for some peculiar reason, even though the global price of oil is dropping, the price at the pumps is going up. It's nothing short of a complete rip-off. Fairfuel UK are demanding the government investigate after pump prices have risen Despite a nearly 10% fall in the cost of Brent crude since August, petrol has risen 1.71 pence per litre and diesel by 1.89 pence per litre in the same period. Howard Cox, the founder of Fair Fuel, said there were uncontrolled profiteering in the fuel supply chains. He said the scandalous ongoing fleecing of UK drivers has to be checked. It is outrageous that we're ripped off in this way. Mind you, the government are helping ripping us off, aren't they? Because they're charging these extortionate duties on top. So that's why we pay ludicrous... What did I pay the other day? £1.20. Admittedly, I'm supposed to use top-of-the-range petrol, and I don't want to sort of spoil it, just in case, you know, you spoil your bits and pieces in the engine. So I'm kind of caught out by it. I'm, I'm kind of stuck... But uh, I think people who drive diesel cars are ripped off as well. We were told at one time, diesel's the way forward, it'll be the cheapest way. Now diesel is so ludicrously expensive, people with diesel cars only go out once a week. Can't afford to go out any other time, can they? Pull into a garage, you'd have to check in your wallet first. Oh, God, only a little bit of money, but luckily we've got a credit card. And so you put it on there, and nobody ever complains about it. Nobody ever complains about it, except me. Uh, an, in, an invigilator. Uh, make sure that exams are conducted correctly. Oh, right. Well, now I know. Uh, and somebody says, my friend's going to Terry Wogan's memorial service at Westminster Abbey. Oh, there'll be loads of people there, I should imagine. You know, all his, uh, all his fans will be there as well. Um, he, of course, was, was buried very quickly. I think it was about, I'm not even sure, actually. But it certainly happened very, very quickly. Uh, Mick says, people with low self-esteem and no personality have tattoos. Oh, right. I wasn't sure you could actually sort of uh, bring it down so that it was that easy to work out. Actually, because, I mean, I don't think David Beckham's got low self-esteem. I think she makes sure of that. She tries to make sure that, you know, he's sort of, he's sort of out there. But he's, he's got this addiction to tattoos, hasn't he? I mean, it really is. It, it does look a bit sad. Sad old man. Because the next thing is the kids are going to start rebelling. And uh, Harper Seven is going to be tattoos all the upper back, I should imagine. And uh, Mother's got... Even poor old Cheryl Cole, who might or might not be pregnant. We're not too sure about that one. Nobody's actually confirmed anything yet. Um... And so we'll have to wait and find out. I suppose people can guess, can't they? They go, oh, because they've said this and because they've said that, she could be pregnant. Who cares? Who cares? Woman with no no career in mind apart from, you know, doing some because you're worth it is the kind of thing. Uh, I sell used designer wear on a well-known auction site. I sell huge amounts to Cheshire customers, says Jane. Yes. And uh, Jane says, dreadful old baggage, housewives of Cheshire. I said anyone outside of Cheshire is riffraff. Yes, I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, they just aren't half as exciting. This this Housewives of, it started, 
and you know it's my favourite topic, the Housewives of Orange County, where a lot of people of indeterminate age and various amounts of Botox argued. That's all the programmes are about, is arguing. It's not about anything else. Nobody likes anybody. They're all fighting for their own little corner, so they throw parties. We've had the Housewives of New York, uh, and then you get people saying things behind people's back. In, house, in Cheshire, they've got nothing to talk about at all. Cheshire's so naff. You go further up the country, dumber, 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 then you get to Cheshire. Really. I mean, it's so full. You've seen these attention seekers. I mean, seriously. I don't know what these people were in previous lives, but it certainly wasn't good looking. And so you end up with the American programmes, of which there might be about ten. And they really search high and low to find a unique mix of people that you absolutely hate. When we had the Orange County, we had a few people. There was a lovely girl on there called Gretchen, I think. And her husband died of cancer. So they then accused her of being a... Um, a gold digger and all this kind of stuff because then she took in a, a bloke who apparently had slept with a few of the other girls. It was hilarious. They all hate each other. But this one yesterday, almost, it nearly came to a head. I mean, one man was saying, you insult my wife again and, and the other bloke goes, and what? He said, you got a black eye last time. Next time, he said, maybe you won't be so lucky. They were all just vile. One of them looked like a thug of the first order, married to this woman. But of course, they've now all accused her of having what they call a fake marriage. You know what that is? That means it's a marriage in terms of the media, but privately separate lives, completely separate lives for the sake of the business or something like that. And they all hated each other. They were shouting. They were screaming. Don't you speak to me? It was, it was seriously, you know, if you'd given them guns, we could have had a shootout in about five seconds. It was amazing. Absolutely amazing. And uh, and I loved it. But it did wind me up. It did wind me up. Uh, a prisoner has been left severely brain damaged after, and I'm not sure if you're going to like this one or not, uh, his name's uh, Ryan Taylor. Uh, Ryan was found in his cell in a coma. Uh, his uh, mother, Karen, who's 52, but, I mean, obviously smokes because she looks about 70, was told he'd suffered a heart attack. But, in fact, the family are now accusing the prison authorities of covering up what really happened at Featherstone Prison in Staffordshire, on April the 29th, his grandmother, Susan, uh, oh no, she's 81, sorry, his, his mother, this is the grandmother I'm looking at the picture of, oh, she's a very good 81, this one, says, we've heard he was attacked by prisoners, and one might, might, have filled his mouth with glue. What is going on in prisons? We asked to see CCTV, but they wouldn't show us anything. It feels like they're covering things up. He's been left as a vegetable. They say he is severely brain damaged. A prison service spokesman says, we are determined to make sure our prisons are safe. The police are investigating this incident, so it wouldn't be appropriate to comment further at this stage. I'd pull your fingers out because he's, uh, he's brain damaged. He was serving uh, a 55-month sentence for burglary, wounding, false imprisonment and a fray. So he's being treated in hospital. Uh, nobody was able to tell his grandmother or his mother how he came to be in that state, but they filled his mouth with glue. Now, whether or not he swallowed the glue, also, I've got no idea. I've got no idea, but it only goes to prove that even in prison, they get to you. Because prisons just aren't safe. All this claptrap you hear from the prison services means absolutely nothing at all. Doesn't make any difference, does it? If people want to, uh, to damage somebody in prison, they'll do it. And they'll get away with it. And nobody will see anything. People turn a blind eye. You know, and that includes prison warders. Otherwise, they must be the most incompetent bunch we've ever had. Prince Philip is in the papers today. Why would Prince Philip be in the papers? He's going to give a rare TV interview to... Only Pip Schofield. Oh, Eamon Holmes will be spitting blood. 
Uh, the Prince has taken questions for a documentary. Oh, it's plucking himself, isn't it? He's doing the Duke of Edinburgh's award, uh, which encourages people to complete challenges. It'll be his first on-screen chat uh, since that disaster they had with Fiona Bruce, uh, where she was asking, no, 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 what you're talking about? And he didn't fall for her. So, she was doing her little sort of cringy, cringy interview bit. But uh, Pip Schofield, all the questions will be submitted in advance. It will be a controlled interview. They all are with the royal family. You can't just sit down and go, so tell me, what's it like to be 95? You know, do you live every day as if it was your last? No, it'll all be controlled. A source said he's agreed to take part in the new show, which goes out later this year. Of course he is. He's, uh, he's promoting the Duke of Edinburgh's award scheme. He'll be doing selected interviews... And uh, and it will be set questions. It's as simple as that. Nothing particularly brilliant about Pip Schofield getting it. They, they probably said, listen, who do you want to do? Loose women? Do you want to do loose women? Or would you like to do Pip Schofield? I do. Uh, uh, Pip, Pip Schofield? Who is he? Oh, he's on in the morning. Oh, that booby girl. I like her. And so he'll probably do that. But it will be pre-recorded and very carefully edited and only shown to you, the general public, once everybody at the palace has sat down and analysed every aspect of it to make sure he appears in a very good light. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. Nice to have you company. 26 minutes to 7. It's Tuesday, the 20th of September. It's Steve Allen with you until 7. And we'll go through the, uh, the front pages in a moment. Just very quickly, somebody says, uh, what was the, the show? It's The Housewives Of... It can be anywhere, but they have they they, they show the programme, and then I think at the end of the series, and I don't know which one this was the end of the series of. They could have been Montana or I don't know. Um, they all sit down in a hotel. They were plugging the hotel at the beginning where they were, which was a, a casino. So it must be a, obviously a resort, and they all sit down and they argue. And they all sit there in cocktail dresses, although really they're just like it's like a cat fight. It really is. So I I can't tell you what it is. It's the housewives of. But it's American. Uh, Adam says, I went to school with, uh, with Rick Waller. He had an awful attitude, very arrogant, and got bullied for it. Uh, the Z-list celebrity he went out with was a girl from ITV Club Reps. Yes, you're right, it was. But I can't remember what her name was, but she was, she was particularly awful. Particularly awful. Uh, another one here, Jason says, tribute to Sir Terry Friday week. I'm sure another big tribute for him at Children in Need as well. Yes, yes. I think so. I mean, let's face it, he's, he, was sort of, he was sort of benchmark for presenters and he had a hardcore of fans. And it's quite difficult for presenters to get a hardcore of fans. You get people who listen to somebody, but they wouldn't be a hardcore of fans. And so for somebody like Terry Wogan, and I'm in the same fortunate position, I've got a hardcore base of fans. Obviously, you've got people who don't like you, like we've had people this morning who didn't like Terry Wogan. Nobody can be liked Nobody can be liked by everybody. That would be very difficult, wouldn't it? Not even the almighty gets uh, that one. Uh, another one here, Bill the Cabbie. Don't know. Don't know is the answer to that uh, question. And uh, and then somebody else was talking uh, about the uh, the old Housewives of Cheshire. It's a dreadful programme. I mean, it truly is dreadful. There's some bad programmes on television. That would, be, uh, that would be one of them. Front pages of the papers. This is what you're waking up to this morning, being... Tuesday, uh, it's the bomber that they've caught in America, and that would have to be fast by anybody's standard. Uh, also, the American actor who's being sued, this is Jim Carey, who's been accused of getting drugs uh, that his girlfriend at the time, Catriona, took, and she subsequently died. There is now a lawsuit uh, against Jim Carrey. He's making no comment at all at the moment. We had this, I remember that terribly, terribly tragic story 
of uh, of Mark Spate. Do you remember Mark Spate years ago? He was on a, a programme on the television. He was he was bright, he was bubbly, he was blonde, he was good-looking, he had a lovely girlfriend, he had everything going for him, but he had a coke problem. He had a coke problem. And the problem was, uh, was I think, on this particular evening that Mark Spate and his girlfriend had a session. She then uh, got into a bath, um, as, as I remember the story. Anyway, she died... In the bath, she was uh, the water was way too hot. She got burnt horribly, and she'd taken drugs. And he was distraught. He was absolutely distraught. As indeed, people, it's it's a reawakening, isn't it? It's a case of this is the person I loved. Anyway, cut a long story short, the sad ending was that Mark Spate decided to take his own life, and he did it up in the eaves of I think Paddington Station, where he hanged himself. And it was such a tragedy, such a tragedy, that you know there are people out there, probably good people. They just happen to fall into a bad patch in their life. And, you know, they go, oh, it's coke, it's fantastic, it's this and all the rest of it. And, you know, I read stories about people who die. They've taken drugs in nightclubs and you see them in the papers and their parents are absolutely gutted and say, how could this happen? It's because people are looking for something. They don't know what they're looking for. They just think that if they take something, it might give them this little bit extra, which takes them onto another plateau and gives them the happiness that perhaps is missing in their life. And in the case of cocaine, it's, uh, you know, it's uh, it was used to be the millionaire's drug. It now appears that just about everybody can afford it. And it comes as no surprise to me when people say, oh, you know, somebody does cocaine. I think that's fantastic. Not for me. I'm way too cheap. Way too cheap. I wouldn't be wasting money on something like that anytime soon. Uh, front pages of the uh, the papers this morning. The uh, the son are dealing with how many more has he killed? This is the cabbie convicted of murdering sex worker Becky Godden. Maybe a serial killer with many more victims. Uh, police fear an eight-year gap between Christopher Halliwell's killing of the 20-year-old in uh, in 2003 and Sean O'Callaghan, Sean O'Callaghan, uh, suggests he could have killed other women. Um, after the second murder conviction, he laughed at the family. Um, he's a murderer. Uh, he's, a, he's a vile person. They found two, but they're now saying, how many more could there be? He once asked a cellmate how many women he had to kill to be a serial killer. These uh, people are looking for notoriety. They want to be... We had the man in Russia, didn't we, some some years ago. And he'd killed, I think it was something like 22 people. 22 people. And it's it's to put them into into this sort of notoriety category. And I've, I've read it before from people, serial killers, who've killed once. And then they get caught. But they really wanted to kill a load of people, so it gives them... This sort of legendary status, I suppose, like like the craze or anybody else who's uh, who's in prison for things like that. So he's evil to the end and he's on the front page. He's now been found guilty of murder number two. The other story on the front page of The Sun, completely by contrast, is Kim Kardashian missing for eight days her bra. It's all a bit sad and tragic from one of America's most vacuous people. She doesn't actually do anything. She doesn't actually have any talent. She's just become famous through having a reality show, and then the rest, as they stay, is... Uh, it's, I mean, it just anybody can be famous. Get my book. So you want to be a celebrity? It'll tell you how to do it. Nice and easy. You either, you know, go to a nightclub, like a lot of these poor people have to do, and pick up a footballer, and then sell the story to the paper, in which case you then get a reputation and nobody goes anywhere near you because you're poison. Or failing that, you marry them, convince them you're really interested, then you take them for all you can get. It's fame by association. It works. Or failing that, try and do something. But if you're nice along the way, nobody's interested. It was the uh, 
Uh, the housewives, uh, Lorna was not the housewives of Orange County. I know exactly all the housewives of Orange County. This was not Orange County. It was Atlanta housewives, says Lawrence. Uh, they were they were such. Even Stephanie says that. All of them. So I love them except the Atlanta ones. They're all trash. These they were really really awful. Sorry. There's an Australian one, is there as well? Yeah, you see, I don't think that, that's of any interest because Australia, we know that you know Australian women are slightly dim anyway. So you know they're not going to be if they've got a bit of money then that's not really that interesting. What you need is the people like the Atlanta ones, where they really are vile. I mean, they really are trash. You've never seen anything like it. It, it was, it, this, was, this was really the, the, the cat fight from all cat fights. Unlike the front of the mirror, which is the puppy hell. And um, it's been going on for ages. We've all known about puppy farms. We've all known about the people who are so unscrupulous, they couldn't care less whether these dogs live or die. It's to line their own pockets. That's all they're doing it for. They're not interested in dogs. They're interested in the filthy money that comes with it. And some of these dogs here, some of them, 14 in a cage. 14 in a cage. I've seen so many programmes over the years about puppy farming and the filth who, who indulge in it. You know, many of these uh, dogs are sick and dying. I think at one point, one, one vet, I think there was something like 500 dogs were taken over the course of a couple of years because they had all sorts of problems and many ended up being put down now if you're an animal lover you will hate this vile trade as much as i do and it's now reached epidemic proportions because it's worth so much money you just bring in a load from you know wherever you find them and these poor little things come in i've I've lost track of the amount of people who've turned up on television programs saying we bought our little puppy within a short space of time he developed limb problems he couldn't walk and we had to have him put to sleep but they paid £700. £700. These people, they have no scruples whatsoever. They couldn't care less. They're not interested in these animals. If, if they die, well, in fact, actually, we did see it, didn't we, on the television, just to really ruin your morning. And uh, they'd seen a car pulling into a lay-by. When it pulled out, they found ten puppies dumped to the other side of the hedge who were dead because they were no use to them. They, they were dead. They weren't going to be able to sell them. And these were people who just brought them into the country. Just disgusting, really. Just disgusting. It's, you know, it doesn't really get any worse, does it? Uh, Gaza's sick racist joke made me cry. Now, this was apparently his minder, a black bodyguard who went home and broke down in tears after Paul Gascoigne racially abused him during a sellout comedy show. Probably Paul Gascoigne thought he was being terribly funny by saying, you know, OK, smile, then we can see you in the dark. And so the bloke went home in tears. I find that a little bit... A little bit strange that somebody would actually be affected that much by something. I mean, God, if, if every time somebody was rude to us, we burst into tears. I'd be a multimillionaire by now. But uh, anyway, he says to have your hero talk to you in a racial manner um, makes you angry and upset. I keep having flashbacks. Blimey, a little bit dramatic, isn't it, really? But anyway, uh, Gaza got fined £2,000. But there's loads of people who do this sort of act. I mean, if you go back through the so-called comedy programmes that have been out on the television, you know, all these sort of lines, you know, which Jim Davidson came up with, Bernard Manning, there were loads of people. Listen, go to a Frankie Boyle show. My Godfathers, I tell you, you'd have court cases every five minutes. Somebody going there and going, I can't believe he just said this about me. There's one thing, he actually picks on a bloke, Frankie Boyle does, in the front of his show, and he said, you couldn't look gayer if you were skipping through a field of daisies with a lollipop in your mouth. And you think, there's a bloke sitting, this is a bloke sitting there with his girlfriend. Now, to be honest with you, you know, if he went home in tears, went, oh, I'm really traumatised by that, people are now seeing me on a DVD. But, of course, the argument would be, if you go to a Frankie Boyle show, you know exactly what he's going to be like. I would think if you go to a Paul Gascoigne show, you'd have a rough idea that he'd be incoherent and wouldn't know where he was. And would probably come up with this sort of rubbish. 
You know, that's the stupid thing about it. Are we going to see other people, you know, prosecuted? Because there's certainly stuff out there. It's a case of what constitutes uh, funny, what is an insult, and what's racism. You know, it's, it's, it's very difficult, I think. But in this one, the judge told him to go home and grow up. Which, of course, people have been saying to Paul Gaskell and for donkey's years. But the trouble is, because he can't, he doesn't know how to grow up. It's, uh, it's a bit sad. Daily Mirror, is this one of the greatest sporting moments in history? And uh, it's the brothers helping each other over the line. I think that was, I think that was great. I love things that make me cry. This programme makes me cry sometimes, but uh, hopefully not you this morning. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. 12 minutes to, uh, to 7. Uh, absolutely love the show, Steve. Listen every morning. If you like Real Housewives, um, watch Love and Hip Hop. Real Housewives of New Jersey, says Yvette. Rick Wallace, somebody says, has now got purple hair. And uh, all housewives uh, at the end of the series end up in a hotel talking about what's been going on. Andy Cohen does the series. Yeah, he's the gay presenter, isn't he? I th- doesn't he? Uh, I think his company makes it. I'm pretty certain his uh, his uh, his company makes it. I, I, I seem to remember reading his name on it. I like him. He's very good at winding them up. I think he's very, very good at winding them up. Uh, other stories in the papers. The Daily Star. Bless you for caring. Uh, Michelle Keegan, Club Brawl Terror. She goes out to uh, Jessica Wright's 31st party. A little bit old to be doing clubs at 31, but there you go. And uh, And then there was a bit of an altercation. And so she had to come out of it, and that's it. There's nothing particularly special in there at all. Uh, race rap Gaz told Grow Up. And, uh, but, of course, that won't make any difference. The bomber shot by the New York cops, all on the uh, front page. Plus uh, Holly Willoughby and Philip Schofield taking this morning on a live tour. I don't know how that's going to work out. But uh, the ITV boss, Emma Gormley, says viewers would snap up tickets to the live shows. Well, you'd have to pay for it. I bloody well hope not. That'd be a disgrace, wouldn't it? And... Uh, they say here, the team hope to follow the success of other telly favourites, like Top Gear, The X Factor and Strictly Come Dancing. Sources said bosses will also not be afraid to bring some of this morning's most controversial features to the roadshow version. Like what? what? What's controversial on there, apart from idiots that they put on? And so it could be a festival-style event. They say, with our fantastic presenting talent and the wonderful mix of content that we've taken to the road, the event promises to delight fans of the show across the country. Well, I suppose they all go out for the baking thing, don't they? So I suppose might as well take this morning out there. And that means Holly Willoughby never gets to go home, poor soul. Um, they also, uh, Lacey Turner from EastEnders has announced her engagement to her hairdresser boyfriend. And um, so they say we both like staying in watching television. Just as well. I don't think people should have to go out all the time. Ridiculous, isn't it? Ridiculous. Good job you have a podcast, says Anna. I've overslept. And uh, another one here. Uh, you say, was that show from the 80s based on an evening English class? where everybody, Well, that, that was Mind Your Language. That's available on uh, DVD. And everybody was stereotypical. The, uh, the Irish guy was stereotypical. The Spanish guy was stereotypical. Everybody was stereotypical on the show. Hosted by Barry Evans, wasn't it? He was the teacher, I believe. I think he was, I'm sure, actually. He was the, uh, the teacher in it. But uh, it, they just look a little bit dated now. All these things look dated. Uh, Gretchen from the Real Housewives of Orange County got paid £2.5 million after Jeff passed away. I liked her, actually. She was a bit simpleton, wasn't she? She was a bit simpleton, but we quite liked that kind of thing. So, And also, the, uh, somebody was telling me about one of the people from The Sound of Music. She was in um, a sci-fi type programme. Uh, uh, Neil says, you're, um, you're Prince Philip. 
very bungle from Rainbow. Yes, you're quite right. I mean, I had to be honest with you. I think I was doing Prince Charles, and I got a bit confused. It does sound a little bit, ooh, yippee. It does sound like that. You're quite right. I do apologise. I'm so sorry. But there again, you're not paying for an impressionist. You're paying for a radio presenter till 7 o'clock in the morning, so you've only got another nine minutes of impressions. Luckily not. And uh, yesterday you mentioned a programme about Lady Boys. I can't remember, Karen, which channel it was on. I flipped through hundreds of channels in the morning, and I wouldn't have the faintest idea. Wouldn't have the faintest idea. And uh, Toby says, as a former manager who... Toby, you see, see, Toby is a posh name, isn't it? Toby sounds posh. You're not going to get somebody from a sink estate in Newcastle called Toby. You probably would if it was T-O-B-double-E. That would be probably more likely. And he says, as a former manager who recruited salespeople for magazines such as Shooting Times, The Field and Country Life, I'd never have given a job to those with tattoos. The clients wouldn't have spent with us if we sent these inked oiks out to them. Yes, I mean, I'm probably inclined to agree with you, actually. Probably inclined to agree with you. Hope your cold goes soon, says Noreen. We're about to have our flu jabs. Last year, my arm ached for months. I'm fine. I'm fine with, uh, with the flu jab. It's just I can't have it at the moment because of this stupid cold. But, uh, they're hoping to go to Westminster Abbey next week for the Wogan service, uh, if they're tannoying it. Bon voyage to Carol and morning to Kate. Massive fan. Never listens. Uh, sorry, never miss. Never listens. I do beg your pardon. Never misses. Thank you. Have a great day and enjoying conversation. Yes, two. Jane Seymour and Darren Brown today. So looking forward to them. And then uh, tomorrow... Another big star, only coming in to talk to Steve Allen for In Conversation, which we quite like, actually, which we quite like. Uh, the Daily Mail, help. Teresa has stolen my wardrobe, says Amanda Platell. She's looking at all the dresses she wears and then the ones that Teresa May has started wearing. Plus, patient safety fears as GPs pay private firms to give consultations via computer. Doctor will see you now on the NHS webcam. I see no problem with that. Is there a problem with that? You know, if you were sort of not feeling very... Well, I suppose you're not feeling very well. No, that'd be fine. If you're not feeling very well, and the doctor says, so what, what's actually the matter with you? And you say, well, actually, I'm a little bit sniffy. A little bit sniffy. Not, not too good at the moment. And they go, OK, I think, you, um, I think you sort of just need to take this, take things easy, drink lots of hot drinks. I'm just trying to get through it. The only thing that annoys me with having a cold is your nose running all the time. Very difficult when you do a speech-based programme. I mean, luckily, I'm not on webcams. Otherwise, it'd be very disappointing for you. Gabrielle says, I think you're spot on about Prince Philip expecting to be interviewed by Pip uh, Schofield. Remember his horrible rudeness to Fiona Bruce on his 90th birthday? He was expecting Selena Scott. Oh, he hated Fiona Bruce. You could see it. I mean, at one point, he was. she tried everything. She tried the flirty, flirty approach. She tried everything, and it didn't work. He was having none of it. Oh, he's, he's very clever. I like him. I've often said he'd be a really good in conversation, but I'd basically could never be told what to ask somebody in an interview. That would be a pointless exercise, wouldn't it? Uh, the Daily Mail are also talking about Gemma Arterton on Lorraine's show, Stunned Into Silence. Well, that's a bit silly if she was stunned into silence. She didn't, she didn't have to go on the programme. And she would have known, if she was worth threepence, that Lorraine Kelly would go and do her research or somebody would drag stuff off the internet and say, oh, you know, there's always been a problem with her weight. She says that they made her do this and do that. So obviously it would be a question to come up with. And then she says, you're normal. And Gemma goes, of course I'm normal. And you think, you don't need to be patronised. You made yourself look a bit silly, Gemma. You could have just gone, I know. You know, if you'd laughed it off and just gone, oh, the problem with Hollywood is, as I would have done, as anybody would have done. You know, but if you're a bit po-faced and take yourself a bit too seriously, then you're obviously going to come over as a bit of a, you know, and you did. 
unfortunately. It was a shame, because you could have really gone, I know, that Hollywood. Honestly, you put on half an ounce, I've only got to look at two cream cakes. Make a joke about it. Don't be all po-faced, because it made you look silly. And it made Lorraine Kelly look even more brilliant. Uh, front of the Daily Express today, the world was charmed by Britain's brave Brownlee brothers, which is, you know, that's, that's the good story, isn't it? Isn't that nice? That's what you expect. In this, in this Housewives programme, whichever one it was, um, one of them was a girl and her brother. They'd not spoken for years. He used to be in the Chippendales, and now he was married to this woman who might or might not have been a stripper. They hated each other. She kept shouting over him. It was, it was, it was just terrible. It really was just awful. Do you remember we spoke yesterday, very briefly, I'll throw this one in, Britannia, and they were saying, could we, could we bring Britannia back? They reckon she could be a floating embassy. I don't think the Queen would be uh, pleased about that one. Uh, Britain will get a good trade deal with the EU and halt unlimited migration. Who says so? Theresa May, in a rallying cry to businesses, she rejected claims the UK could not expect an agreement with Brussels unless we abide by EU free movement rules. You can read more about that. And the great cabbage catastrophe, because it really is. The grower who grew this enormous cabbage days before the show, somebody stripped it completely. Another chef in the kitchen and fed it to people. And the, the poor chef who'd grown it didn't have the faintest idea. Didn't have the faintest idea. He was sort of saying, oh, goodness me, here's uh, a nervous Countess of Wessex riding off on an epic 450-mile palace-to-palace bike ride. And uh, seeing her off was, was Prince uh, Philip. Bye, bye. Go. You know, no, the husband wasn't there. I thought the husband might, uh, might have been there. But uh, she's been training with people from Sandhurst and everything else. There wouldn't be a husband. And, uh, and she'll do very well because she's fairly fit and she used to work for LBC. So we know all about her. Uh, Sandy Toxfix QI. You know, she's taken over the programme. She's front of the Guardian today. I'm not Stephen Fry's mini-me. No, you're Sandy Tox... There's another one. We found somebody else who'd go on the, the great lesbian bake-off. We've decided this is the way forward. We're bored with the usual format. Give us something better. Give us lesbian bake-off. And that way we can have Claire Baldwin... Uh, Kebbling presenting it, which would be fantastic. Her, her girlfriend could help her out. I mean, it's just so much easier. So much easier. There wouldn't be any bitching. There wouldn't be anything like that. It'd just be people getting on with doing the job. And Sandy Toxvick could pop up as well. She could play the Mary Berry character, couldn't she? She'd be brilliant at that. Brilliant. Uh, also, the New York bombing suspect held out of the street shootout. I hope he was suffering while he was lying on the stretcher. He was found in the doorway. No other suspects are being sought. So that's good news. And uh, this, uh, this bombing in New York injured 29 people. Uh, the good news is that the number of smokers in England has dropped to an all-time low. The decline in smoking is now down, um, you know, from 19.3% in 2012. 2015, 16.9%. So it's down. It's heading in the right direction. But, you know, you're never going to get everybody to stop smoking. If people want to stop smoking, they'll stop smoking. If they don't, they're going to die. You know, as indeed is everybody going to die. But they'll have emphysema. They'll have racking chest pains. They'll get all sorts of uh, problems with the internal workings. So the advice is give up. And there is advice out there. There are loads of people who can actually help you uh, give up. Uh, Angela Cartwright was in Lost in Space Lost in space. I love that. That was with that giant robot. I thought it was a great thing. Listen, thank you for your company this morning. I'm very grateful. Hope you'll join me again tomorrow between four and seven. I don't mind if you're an insomniac or working or you're just somebody passing through. Pass through and listen to us. You can listen to LBC whenever you want, wherever you are. Download that free LBC app for your mobile or tablet and never miss a moment. Leading Britain's conversation at 10, it's James O'Brien. You can follow me on Twitter at Steve Allen Show. But up next, it's Nick Ferrari at breakfast. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, listen to Steve Allen live from 4am Monday to Friday and Saturday and Sunday from 5am. 